You're listening to School Crack, Ireland's first and foremost Magic the Gathering podcast. I'm your host, David Wolf, and I'm joined here by... Kieran and Alan. Hey, Al, what's the story? Oh, the story. Oh, let me tell you all about the story. Um, I played uh, 12 hours of Magic yesterday. Ooh. Um, and then and when I when I finished, I came home and played some more. <laughs> wow! It's, uh, this set is very exciting. I did the elusive uh, two pre-releases in one day um, job, so it was from eleven a.m. to eleven p.m. Uh, I I got that later, but I I got some prize packs, and afterwards I asked uh, all the others like, "Hey, so now we're finished, let's uh, go to the pub and do a draft with our prize packs." And everyone was like, "No, that don't be ridiculous. We're all very tired uh, after playing lots of magic." And I said, oh, you filthy casuals. <laughs> and I went home and played on Arena. <laughs> nice. It was a good day. Good day. How about you? Um, well, I didn't really do much of that because we've no pre-release here. So uh, I don't think War of the Spark cards exist in Vietnam yet. So um, no no in-person stuff anyway. But uh, I have been playing on Arena, but not not limited because it, the draft is not up yet. I didn't really want to do sealed. I didn't want to buy gems for sealed. So I'm just going to wait for the draft. That's probably a good call. I have been playing standard though. So I'll be able to share my thoughts on that later. Oh, lovely. Lovely. But before all that, we have had a Mythic Championship this weekend. So the second Mythic Championship of 2019. What was the hashtag this time? 29MC2 or MC2019 2? Something like that. It's like... It's like... A... Uh, you know, someone just reached into a scrabble bag and just threw out some letters and numbers um, <laughs> onto onto a table, and that's it. So that's the hashtag. Yeah. Um, so, we so we don't use MTG London. That's all. But that's what it would have been before. That's not. Is that no longer good enough? Well, no. It would have been before. It would have been like hashtag PT War, which is like much better. <laughs> so yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm getting yeah. Sorry, I'm getting uh, Magic Fest and GPS and uh, Mythic Championships all muddled in my head. Yes, which uh, it's obviously what was going to happen when they they changed all this. Well, actually, now that you say that, that is a good point. Uh, uh, this Mythic Championship was this is held on the weekend that War of the Spark is released, so it was actually kind of a pre-release. The Mythic Championship itself almost was a pre-release, but the uh, the the Grand Prix in London, which was happening at the same time as the Mythic Championship, was actually a pre-release, and it was this kind of new new version with flights and uh, yeah like multiple flights and if you basically what was it if you were 6-1 or 7-0 the flight then you get into day two quote unquote uh yeah so it's um like i guess they call it the sunday rather than uh, day two but yeah i think i think it was 6-1 in a flight um and you qualify for yeah, yeah sunday which uh even though it's kind of like day two it's sealed again which is very strange um yeah i heard from a few uh, irish players over there uh, it seems like this is just an absolutely brutal format um, you know, like having, especially since you can't leverage buys you have before, uh, it's just very difficult to to go. Um, you know, yeah, six six one or better. Yeah, I mean, you if there were buys, I mean, you probably would have been there, right? Yeah, I think I think that that was like there's a few different things that kind of a few different factors that maybe uh, decide not to go. Uh, I think if I remember, yeah, a few weeks ago when when or probably a few months ago now when this announcement was first made, I was on the fence for a very long time. Um. But yeah, I think just seeing the uh, just how just how low EV these uh these flights were, um, I can see myself. It's it's even though you might go over with the intention like, oh yeah, I'll just play one or two. But like, I'm sure when you're there, when when you're there and you, you scrub out of uh, your second 
uh, flight after having after opening a bad pool. Um, I can see it'd be very very tempting to say, yeah, I'll just sign up for two more. Uh, so I say the definition of heartbreak is if you signed up for all four and still didn't make day two. Yeah, that would be. I wonder. I wonder. There must have been some players who who did that. If anybody has done that, please let us know because I would like to hear from that that player and how they feel about um their experience. Uh, yeah, it was like it was a huge, huge GP in terms of like again, quote unquote, day one attendance. It was over two thousand five hundred players, and day two was one hundred and fifty one players. That is crazy. Jesus. Jesus Christ, that is actually, I, I didn't realize the numbers were that extreme. Oh my God, that's like 5%, is it? No, I, I'm bad at math. No, sorry, less than, it's a very small, small percentage. <laughs> yes, it is. It's, it's a quick math. Less than, uh, uh, it's 1%, right? No, I'm also bad at math. Yeah, I'm, I'm good at math. I'm good at math when I have a calculator in front of me. Yeah, it's about 2.5%, I think, something like that. Anyway, um, yeah, that is, that is crazy. And I also imagine, it would be totally heartbreaking to have missed out on day two like more than once. Like uh, when I say missed out, I mean closely miss out. Like imagine if you five twoed two of the flights, you'd be so annoyed. Oh, actually, yeah. Oh my god, it's like yeah. If you take um, like I've or have I? Yeah, I, I've like I don't know if you had narrowly missed day two before, and it, it is yeah very heartbreaking for it to happen. Uh, <laughs> But for that to happen twice in one day, you must take that feeling and multiply it by two. That that is that's pretty absurd. Yeah, that's rough. That's rough. Um, and then like Mark made the comment on the you know the Irish Magic Facebook page that it was just an unfortunate mix of the exact type of incentive for players that shouldn't really be mixed. So there was the like cutthroat competitive GP minded players who are like, yeah, I want to make day two. But at the same time, it's a pre-release. Pre-releases are supposed to be fun. You're learning the new cards. You're talking to people, enjoying yourself. GPs can can be fun, certainly. But the main event is usually fairly, you know, especially after the first couple of rounds, it's fairly tight. You, you know, you expect people to play well. You expect people to um, to know what the cards are doing. And because this was the first weekend for the format, that you know, I, I just don't know. Obviously, I wasn't there, so I can't speak authoritatively. But I, I just feel like the... The atmosphere must have been a weird mix and probably not a good one. And I think it was a it was a decent experiment from Wizards again in a long line of I'm glad that they are trying new things, but maybe don't try this new thing again. And I know maybe it's not exactly Wizards that is doing this. I it's a combination of Wizards and CFB. But yeah, maybe don't try this one again. Yeah, they've more they have more failed experiments than the is it league and the Simic combine combined. Uh, but yeah, I, I I agree that completely, and I think that really was part of the reason why I didn't go. It felt like it was it was just a clash of like two very different, two extremely different magic experiences, uh, which I always like to keep siloed, you know, separate in my head. Um, and then although we can get more into later, but for what it's worth, uh, there are two mana rocks in this format that are not mana rocks, and I did not realize that they were not mana rocks until in the middle of the game. So um, I'm glad that didn't happen uh, in the GP situation. You mean in the sense of like they don't actually tap for mana themselves? Yeah, yeah. There's uh, two artifacts. One's an artifact creature. That's just a filter. Uh, you know, you only look at a card, you just, your brain is shortcuts. And it's, oh yeah, I know how these cards work. Yes. And then, uh, I mean, that's, that's well, that's what happens, you know, when, when you just you know, go, go in blind to a release. Yeah. Which is kind of fun. You know, it's a funny moment when that happens in the game. It's kind of, you know, I laugh it off my opponent. Uh, but like, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't like to be 
I wouldn't like to take that in a, you know, in a GP experience. Um, I like to think I probably would be more prepared if I did go to the GP, but then again, maybe I wouldn't be. Yeah, I mean, I think you probably would be. Yeah, at a pre-release, there is a lot of like, hold on, that card does what? Yes, yeah. It's first strike as well? Um, yeah, there's a lot of that going on. So let's jump in and talk about the Mythic Championship itself. So it was modern, the modern format, and they gave us a lot of data on this. And I think they were so like trigger happy with the data here because of the um, the hesitation or the fear around the London Mulligan. And I feel like that that fear of the London Mulligan absolutely breaking stuff was not borne out. So I definitely think that this Mulligan system is going to be the one going forward. And I would imagine we'll see an announcement to that effect very soon. Um, if it hasn't already been made by the time this podcast goes up, then I'll be... I'd honestly be kind of shocked. Um, although I guess maybe Wizards has to go over some data for a while before they before they decide anything. But they have the Magic Online data as well. So yeah, um, people were worried about the format because of that. And I think Wizards uh, reacted to that by giving us so much information about win rates and you know deck archetypes and, and what have you. Uh, so yeah, we're kind of overloaded with information here. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think it's, it's on the point you made, I feel like there's obviously a lot of data, lots of different ways to interpret this data. And uh, I think this data actually, this data does uh, uh, align with people who are saying that the London Mulligan is very good and this doesn't necessarily push uh, Combo X over the top. Um, I guess, I know in terms of timeline, the Vancouver Mulligan was introduced for Pro Tour uh, Magic Origins and then was implemented uh, for the BFC pre-release. So that's how soon we might see uh, this come to effect. Yeah. Um, yeah, like to, to that point um like sam black tweeted before this mythic championships mythic championship started he tweeted that like if there is a deck that became broken because of london mulligan his team hadn't found it so and i mean he's part of he tests with like some of the biggest teams um i think that's probably and like everything we saw over the weekend kind of attests to the fact that this is just not as big of a deal as people thought it would be um and what it does to legacy and vintage well hey, maybe it's not so important, or maybe they'll get a few bans, or maybe even there'll be some bans in Modern because of it. I don't know how well certain decks did, but I know that, like, Is It Phoenix was highly represented um, and had an okay win rate, so maybe Faithless Looting will be looked at at some point. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, that's something that we can kind of get into. Do you want to, do you have the data there in front of you if you want to pick out some some choice pieces? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, day one, um, so Tron was uh, the most highly played deck in day one with a percentage of uh, 14.6. Uh, then that was followed by Is It Phoenix, which was 12%, uh, and then Humans was 10.3%. Uh, so I guess like looking at looking at it alone, it's like yeah, before this, uh, you know, out, outside of the London Mulligan, uh, Is It Phoenix was you know, the number one deck to beat in modern. Um, so my response to this was thinking that you know, I think a lot of people probably defaulted towards Tron or kind of put a lot of weight on Tron being very good. Uh, because of this new mulligan rule, and so I can I I see that's probably why Tron is represented in, in these numbers because uh, I suppose it is just like an easy choice uh, when you know you can fix your hand, and you know how you know broken uh, some of the starts can be. Um, yeah, so I suppose I start running through the list, and it's after this is after uh, humans, uh, it's the uh, white control, uh, dredge, Grixis shadow, hardened scales. Uh, they have uh, lumped together a few different Eldrazi variants, uh, which I think is is probably higher than we'd usually see. Um, I, I guess you know other other variants of Aldrazi have to actually be dropping off uh, uh, over the last few months of popularity. 
can can you tell me what Eldrazi variants there are? Like, there's like colorless Eldrazi. Is that would that colorless Eldrazi and Eldrazi drawn? Would they always be like the same thing? And then there's like mono red Eldrazi. So it's also yeah, and there's after Bloodbraid Bloodbraid after Bloodbraid ban after Bloodbraid Elf was uh, unbanned. Uh, there was a green red version uh, that was going around. Oh yeah. Uh, there's also like a black white. Yeah, I, I, I guess uh, there's a few different black white versions. Um, there's like a black white mid range version. There's also a I guess you call it, yeah Eldrazi taxes. Uh, presumably, Eldrazi taxes is, is in here as well. Um, yeah. So I guess yeah, it's 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 not it's not great. Uh, uh, it's not great great resolution that we're seeing with this, but um, because mm. all, all of those decks play very very differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess kind of on another note, we have like the most played non land cards. Uh, mm-hmm. out of uh, one, two, four, five out of uh eight, uh, they're all one drops. So wow. So this, this the Chalice of the Void seems pretty good right now. Um, so yeah, so below uh, Eldrazi variants, there's uh, Amulet Titan, uh, there's the Rock, Esper Control, Burn, Burr Prison, uh, Red Green Balakut, Affinity, Infect, Adosium, uh, Boggles, Jund, and Other. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's kind of, I'm I'm quite surprised that Tron was the highest the highest archetype, and Is It Phoenix was not. It, it's in second place, but it kind of felt like. The the buzz leading up to the event meant that Is a Phoenix would be very high on people's list. Um, maybe people's testing showed that it couldn't be Tron in a long game or something like that. Um, again, other other decks that I'm very surprised to see up so high. Humans is an unusual one to be up so high. Uh, I think. Hmm. Oh, this is probably yeah because humans had kind of seen a bit of a. A bit of a fallback in modern over the last few months, like partly in because of Is a Phoenix's kind of rise to rise to prominence because Is a Phoenix has a lot of cheap removal and of course it has Thing in the Ice which can bounce all the humans and resets your whole board which can be devastating for humans and you know they can't can't come back from that. But now that I think about it, I assume it was the open deck lists that made people play humans because when you know exactly what to name with Meddling Mage. Your turn to meddling mage gets a lot better. Oh, that's yeah, that's actually a great point. Um, I, I don't think of it. They actually they mentioned this in the in the uh, coverage today that uh, yeah, no one. It's I guess like meddling mage is a great card because it really kind of challenges a player's uh, understanding of the format. But I, I think just but then you know, just having necklace just make, makes it quite easier to play. Yeah, I suppose so, so that's something I don't like about this because yeah, like, I guess so. We made a point before that uh, like we want to see how the London Mulligan impacts the format because. Uh, something that's going to be changed, uh, and something that might be brought in, and uh, something that can be very, very positive if it's brought in. Uh, but now we just we just have uh, you know this confounding factor of uh, really available deck lists, which kind of makes it harder to tell uh, what is impacted this uh, breakdown. Yeah, and, and like humans is a deck that probably doesn't really get much better from the London Mulligan specifically, but it does get better from this deck list rule um, because like any kind of deck that's that's tribal or relies on a lot of creatures like that 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 support each other and 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 uh have synergy together like that usually they're like a a critical mass style deck and they don't like the mulligan at all um obviously this style of mulligan is better than the previous mulligan so i mean even even though it's not a deck that likes the mulligan this mulligan is helping it um but yeah that's kind of weird that we have this these incentives pulling in different directions that are possibly skewing the data and then, like white blue control as well. Is that another similar thing? Is there is there something that you name in white blue control? I guess ruined halo out of the sideboard or something. Yeah, I guess so. Blue white control is definitely um, your 
the political decisions are going to uh, change based on uh, what 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 deck your opponent's playing. You know, or like if you, you know, if you have like a removal half, you have a reactive half. Uh, That's true. So there's there's different. Um, yeah. So it's I think I think it's it's something that I guess benefits from both. You know, uh, it's easier to mulligan hands, and you know that all right, I have a decent seven here, but I'm up against you know affinity or burn, so I need to ship it. Yeah, like there are certain hands that are unkeepable against those type of decks, so it is good to have foreknowledge of that. Um, although even still, I don't don't think you could pay me enough to register white blue control for one of these tournaments. Well, everybody has their price. True, uh, true. Um, yeah. Stuff like dredge, hardened scales. I'm surprised wasn't higher because those are decks that I can see stand to benefit from this. Hardened scales actually did pretty well; had a decent win rate. Um, I think that's a yeah a cool deck and one to keep an eye on. Any other stuff that had positive win rates here? Um, Ad nauseum had a sixty-one, almost sixty-two percent win rate. Yeah, it's bananas. <laughs> uh, I guess it's, it's a good deck. <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't know which ideas I did of that deck, but is, is there something that benefits from you know these changes? Well, I don't know, but yeah, that is very very surprising to see. Like I don't know Ad nauseum very well. I've never played the deck i've only played against it i think probably once i think once um so i can't speak to it too authoritatively but uh yeah i guess it's just one of those combo decks that's quietly been ticking away for like years and years and years and there are people who are like yeah i'm an ad nauseum guy or girl or i'm an ad nauseum person and that's just what i play all the time and i'm really good at it and i know my deck inside out and i know how to play it against all the matchups and maybe that's these people who are placing well. I don't know. Or maybe Ad Nauseum is just really well placed in the format. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, I, I think, I think the, the, yeah, the point you made there, it's, it's, it's definitely the kind of deck that people identify, identify themselves as being like you know, a this deck player. I guess that's, that's an effect you might see a little bit less uh, you know, at this level of, of, of competition. Because I guess you know, with pros, you have you know, a lot available to them. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think maybe it is just in a good spot. It's, it's always just been very, very powerful. Um, I think it's... So I, I, I've never played a deck, but you know, I guess, I guess from the fact that I play Skylands, it's you know, you, you need you know, that level of control over your draws. Uh, so something that obviously will benefit from having um, this new Morgan rule. So definitely, if uh, if you're looking for a new deck to learn how to play, uh, play Ad Nauseum. It's 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 fun to play. I don't, I don't know if that's a well. If you're just looking to change, <laughs> maybe. If you're looking for, if you're just getting into modern, maybe maybe not Ad Nauseum because it's kind of weirdly complicated. Yeah, and there's no overlap with all the cards you buy for uh, other decks, which is that is so definitely marked against it. Yeah, very little overlap with other cards uh, for other decks. Whereas, like I don't know, you get your Serum Visions or you get your Ancient Stirrings, you can at least put them in a few decks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else from the statistics that you'd like to point out or talk about? Uh, yeah, I suppose just um, just want to have open in front of me here. We see uh, uh, Tron has dropped off a little bit going into day two. Um, it has a lower conversion rate, so I guess that's kind of part of. You know, a lot of people are playing. You know, brought Tron to this tournament, uh, but Tron didn't necessarily didn't necessarily dominate uh, going into day two. Yeah, um, I, I honestly don't know. I don't know. I I can't figure out Tron. <laughs> what do you mean? See, the the power plant taps for two. Yeah. The mine taps for two. Okay. But the tower, right? Yeah. That taps for uh, four. No, three. What? That's cheating. But what is it about? So what what you not get about Tron? I, I don't get why so many people chose to play this deck. I don't get why it wasn't successful then. <laughs> if you have so many people come to this conclusion of, oh, I'm going to play Tron in this 
in this format where we have access to deck lists and we have this new mulligan rule. And then, like, because I, I guess I kind of understand that that train of thought because it's like we have access to deck lists, so you know what you're playing, so you know how to mulligan. Also, Tron is just like independently powerful. You can just ha- you have those hands that just win on turn three or whatever. Um, so I can understand why people are like, okay, this is my train of thought. This is why I'm playing Tron. But then for that to like go so badly and for Tron to have a negative win rate just is astounding to me. Maybe it's because there were so many people playing it. Is that is that a thing? I don't know if that's a thing. I, th- I think the number of people playing it wasn't high enough for that to be a big impact. But I don't know. I, I like to think that you know we have all these all these professional magic players who think, oh, Tron's an easy deck. I'll just pick it up. Uh, but you know, it's it's a dark magic. It <laughs> takes a long time to learn. Uh, I suppose maybe people want to say how easy it is to play. Possibly, yeah. Tron, it does have the rest of it, sorry. with like how you fetch your lands and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shall we? I guess it's, it's definitely something. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say it's almost like it, it benefits a lot more from the Mulligan rule than it does for the uh, this the open deck list. Uh, I think if anything, Tron uh, uh, is uh, what's the word <laughs> that uh, the open deck list effects kind of is uh, hurts Tron more than it helps it. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Um, it's like you're you're gonna you're gonna keep turn three drawn no matter what. True, true. Yeah, yeah. I suppose some of your some of your draws are not like they're they're in that range of broken anyway, so you don't even need the or like if it's not broken, you kind of you mulligan it, right? Isn't that the way it is? Yeah, yeah. So do you want to move on and talk about the top eight? Um, yep. Okay, so we had hmm, so it was five hundred and fourteen players down to eight. So we had Tian Nguyen, uh, Eli Loveman. Alexander Hain, Brian Braun Dewan, Adrian Zhu, Chris Kvartek, I want to say. Sorry if I have mispronounced his name. Uh, Javier Dominguez and Matt Sperling. So a few big names in there. BBD, uh, Javier Dominguez, current world champion. Uh, Matt Sperling, of course, from his wonderful articles. Uh, Alex Hain, former mythic number one player on Arena. And, of course, former Pro Tour champion. Um, yeah, fairly star-studded top eight. And uh, a few kind of lesser known players. And the, the rundown of decks is humans, is it Phoenix, Tron, humans again, humans again, Titan Shift, Affinity, and Tron again. So we had two Tron, three humans, one Affinity, one Titan Shift, and one is it Phoenix. And it was, of course, taken down by Eli Loveman, who was on humans, and he was facing up against uh, Matt Sperling in the finals, again, who was on Affinity. Um, any particular list here that sticks out to you? Obviously, you're going to gravitate towards the Tron list first. Uh, yeah, so just looking at it now, so uh, looking at Alexander Haynes' list, uh, Alexander Haynes, is, he, he's usually kind of guy you can expect to do something uh, creative or or or, um, or uh, bring something new to the format. Uh, seems like everything here is fairly normal. The main board's very normal. Uh, he has Unravel the Aether in the side. Uh, you know what Unravel Gaither is? Uh, um, uh, choose target artifact champion. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll let you guess first. Okay. Uh, choose target artifact champion. Unravel the Aether is that? Well, let me try and guess what set it's from. I think it's from. Yeah, it's from. Is it from? Uh, oh God, Aether Revolt? No. Sorry, I, I say it's probably more so Aether than Aether. If that makes a right. difference. Aether. Um. Maybe it was from like a Theros set. Was that from a Theros? I feel like that was in standard when I started playing. Yeah, Born of the Gods. Born of the Gods. And is it like it's a destroy and enchantment type thing? Is it? Uh, it is. Uh, choose target. Choose target artifacts or enchantment. 
Uh, it's owner shuffles it into his rare library. Mm, okay, yeah, so it's a shuffle away. Yeah. And what do you think he's bringing that in for? I don't know, I'm trying to figure out. Uh, it's a chalice? No, well, I guess it a, kills a chalice on one, but it's possible there's something else silly I'm missing. Yeah, it could be that. I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. Uh, so I've been looking, looking at Adrian Zoo's list. Uh, yeah, there's nothing else really... Uh, there's, there's, there's nothing particularly here that fans out in these uh, Tron lists. Is he, uh, apart from that one card. Adrian Zoo on the same list? Uh, no, no. It's a, a very similar main board, uh, but not not the same sideboard. And these are mono green Tron lists, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so mono green is the kind of flavor of the flavor of the week when it comes to Tron, right? The the black splash is gone. Yeah, I I, was, I kind of reckon it's it's really just a field rune uh, that makes that kind of incentivize, incentivizes you to play uh, mono green Tron now instead of instead of yeah red green or yeah red green yeah, black green or uh, white green. I suppose if, if you're if you're if you're playing two colors, colors of your Tron deck, you're just very um, soft to field rune, which is fairly ubiquitous now. Mm-hmm. Okay, and looking at the uh, the humans lists, we have a bit of a difference here. We have BBD going for like two militia buglers. Uh, Chris Vartek is looking at he's looking at an extra Kitesail freebooter, and he's also got Anafens of the Foremost, which if you don't remember that card, which you may not, it's a uh, Man, I hated this card in standard. I hated it so much. <laughs> it's white, black, green for a 4-4 four, four, uh, human soldier, legendary creature. Uh, when she attacks, put a plus one, plus one counter on another target tapped creature you control. And if a creature card would be put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. So it's kind of main deck graveyard hate while also being just a good a good beater. Obviously, the mana is not really a problem in humans. Uh, and then Eli Loveman, who is the eventual, eventual winner of the whole event, uh, he went with back down to three kites of freebooter. He had one militia bugler and two deputy of detention, which is not a human. It's a Vidalcan wizard. Oh yes, yeah. Jeez, I, I, was, I was watching the final. And I didn't even notice this. Uh, I just assumed it was. But yeah, I guess I mean you have the freedom to name uh, what, what, whatever you want to, in, using your uh, using your own territory or your tavern souls. So if you just have a hand that that he's that that can play um, deputy detention, then. Yeah, you, you just you just for the Yeah, and then you have like you have Ether Vile, uh, which obviously doesn't care what creature type it is, and you have Ancient Ziggurat, which just cares that it's a creature. And I mean, you do there are there is already like a precedent for non creatures and non uh, non humans rather in the deck. There's Phantasmal Image is in most of these humans deck lists, and that's a that's an illusion. So I mean, the deck is already making kind of white and blue as its base colors. So I guess Deputy Deputy of Detention is like not at all really attacks on the mana i mean usually you see the the one kind of non uh one of the non-tribal based lands in these decks is usually like uh sea Chrome coast and horizon canopy so you know those those are making your colors for deputy detention he also has an extra deputy of detention here in the sideboard um oh actually now that i now that i look here some some of the other lists they also have deputy of detention in the sideboard uh three but i guess he uh, Eli Loveman has just moved two of them to the main deck, so maybe that was kind of uh, getting him, getting him ahead here in this metagame. Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I think it's kind of it's associated ever since uh, Deputy Attention was, was printed. I guess people have even put the flexibility of this mana base that we're not necessarily limited to humans. I guess the success, the success of this deck, uh, I guess, opens some doors in terms of what else we can experiment with putting in. Uh, so people do stuff like oh, so like people have been playing uh, Galactic Teague in the side for a while. Uh, which is uh, Kithkin Advisor. Yeah. Uh, so I suppose it's yeah, Deputy Tension, Galactique, and 
uh, you know, cards like this are really just playing perfectly into your 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 you know, main plan. And I guess you can just push your man a little bit just to include them. Yeah, seems seems powerful. Um, then some of the oddball decks. Again, I can't speak to these too much because I've not played modern all that much recently. But uh, and I mean, some of them I wouldn't have even been familiar with even when I was playing modern. Um, but yeah, Titan Shift. This is a bit of an odd one to see. Uh, I guess it's it's doing a uniquely powerful thing. You have your combo kill. You have your value primeval titans. Uh, I kind of I'm surprised not to see Amulet Titan in this spot, but maybe it's just because I was listening to the game podcast and Brian Gottlieb making me so like hyped about Amulet Titan and making me want to go and order all the Amulet Titan cards straight away. Uh, yeah, just when I see Primeval Titan, I'm like, oh yeah, Amulet. That that's a broken deck. But uh, here we have another Primeval Titan featuring deck that is. Uh, Possibly just as broken. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's. Um, this might have been like a meta call. Uh, I think I, I was. Find, I was find that the, the matchup is very favorable for a Titan Shift when it's against, when it's against Tron. Uh, if if this player you know uh, accurately predicted that Tron would, would do would you know dominate uh, day one or, or be relevant in day one, uh, this would seem like the right deck to choose. Yeah, well, when you've got main deck cards like uh, Monvuli, Acid Moss, and <laughs> I don't know Primeval Titan <laughs> to to just combo kill like primeval titan into valakit or um just using your escape shift to combo kill your opponent then yeah not too much that tron can do in that spot yeah uh matt sperling affinity i'm not seeing anything strange here what's he got here two experimental frenzies in the main is that normal for affinity now i feel like it is yeah yeah it was, it was something that a <laughs> first side topic we were crazy uh including this at all in the 75 I think it's one of one of the matches in the final, or one of the games in the final. Uh, you can see it was he was kind of falling behind, then he was landed a frenzy. And once once affinity untaps with frenzy on board, uh, it's just game over. Uh, it's very very powerful. Yeah, you can definitely you can play a bunch of cards uh, from a frenzy with affinity because their cards do not cost very many manas. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I'm not seeing anything particularly weird out of. Uh, Matt Sperling, I'm I'm assuming this is just maybe a deck that he has experience with, and he felt like it was in a decent spot. Of course, aggressive decks, especially if your all your teammates are are choosing Tron, you're like, yeah, I'm gonna be on an aggressive deck. I'm gonna go on the beat down some robots. Yeah, definitely. It seems like a look, look at the first uh, the deck represented well in day two. This seemed like a very good choice. And finally, Javier Dominguez, is it Phoenix? My current favorite deck in modern. I don't own it, but it's my favorite. Um, in in Javier's deck, we do have some spice. Uh, so he's he's on the Pyromancer Ascension build, which I think is kind of the the preferred build at the moment. He's got one Crackling Drake in the main. He's got another one in the sideboard. Um, that's that's one that I really like. It's a bit of a head scratcher for me. I just did not think the Crackling Drake was good enough for modern. Like the the mana cost, not not just not just the colors in the mana cost, but the the actual four mana investment. I suppose in a deck like this, it does end the game very fast, so you have that. But yeah, it's just such a lot of a mana to invest in a threat. Yeah, I guess, I guess maybe this is a response to graveyard hate because even when an exile graveyard, the Drake is still you. That is very true. That is very very true. And of course, you have your own surgical extraction in the deck. So as previously discussed on the podcast, you can. Uh, surgical something out of your deck to give it plus 
three, I guess, plus three. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or maybe even plus four if the if there's no surgicals in your graveyard at the time. Um, yeah, some of the spice in the deck here. We have one copy of Flame Slash, which is a red mana for sorcery, deal four damage to a creature. Um, maybe Javier expecting a lot of mirrors, expecting to kill a lot of thing in the ice with this. Yeah, that's also what it seems like it's for. Yeah, thing in the ice, uh, cracking drinks it as well. And then maybe maybe in the same vein, we have Set Adrift, which is a, a, a card from Kansas Tarkir, five in the blue, put target non-non-permanent on top of its owner's library, but it has Delve, so you can cast it for just a single blue mana. And of course, this deck not having a particularly hard time delving with so many cantrips in the deck and Thought Scours, Manamorphose, all those kind of things. Um, and then in return for these for these spells, I think we're seeing... Uh, Javier go down on Lightning Axe and go down on Gutshot. Yeah. Uh, in the sideboard, again, nothing too crazy. A couple of Ravenous Trap. A couple of Ceremonious Rejection. Again, maybe that's from, from the experience of being around other players and knowing that, okay, there's a there's a hefty contingent of players here intending to play Tron. Um, you know, the Ravenous Trap, he's expecting to face Dredge at some point, which I think is a fairly safe expectation. And then the kind of the usual stuff in the sideboard as well, like Blood Moon's Alpine Moon. What what do we think here of the split between one Alpine Moon to Blood Moon? Yeah, I think I think the split is very. I, I don't know if I agree with the split entirely. Uh, I, I think just Blood Moon is 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 you know, playing so many roles in this. Uh, you know, it, it plays so many more roles than Alpine Moon. Like Alpine Moon, yeah, is better when you get it down against Tron when you get it down against Escape Shift. But I think it's like you know, it's it's a precious sideboard slot. Um, Blood Moon does more in uh, different matchups. Uh, well, I, I guess it's something that is just entirely meta dependent. Uh, I guess it's a call that uh, Javier made, and you know, maybe it was the right call. I mean, I'm not going to argue with the world champion, but. Oh, well, I don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm not going to either. Uh, I would love to hear his reasoning between Alpine Moon and Blood Moon. Uh, you know, it, it can be important to get it down earlier, especially if you're on the draw or something against uh, against Tron or. or... As you said, scape shift. Yeah, yeah. I guess maybe it does make sense in this in this deck where, like, by turn three, you've already done so much, you know, by then because spells are so cheap. So you know, it probably matters less, but I don't know. Um. So as we said, Eli Loveman on humans did manage to get there. He won the second Mythic Championship ever. Congrats to him. Yeah. Uh, in a final against humans, it was or a final against Affinity. Uh, he absolutely destroyed. He absolutely dominated the first two games. Uh, post cyborg Affinity took down one day one game, but then. Um, Medley Mage came to the rescue in game four and he's with them. GG. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and watch some of these because I haven't watched a modern tournament in like a long time and I didn't get to watch this weekend because I was working all weekend and I was very annoyed by that. So uh, yeah, I'm thinking I'm going to have to go and go back and watch some VODs of this tomorrow when I'm resting um, because I would love to. Yeah, yeah, it is said. High level modern man. I know if they, if they change this mulligan rule, I am gonna do it wrong so many times. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just more things to do. I, I'm. Uh, it's more actions. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm just imagining myself now watching the players doing it and imagining that it's going to look wrong to me, and then you know that's leading me to think about well, what about when I'm doing it? That's gonna feel really wrong. It's gonna take me a long time to get used to it. Of course, the scry took me a while to get used to as well. Um, that was like, oh, I'm cheating. But uh, <laughs> it it feels like cheating the first time you do these kind of different mulligans. Or like whenever I when I when I mulligan in commander, I'm just like, oh, I'm just blatantly cheating. This is I get to scry three. What are you talking? Yeah. About? Um. 
Yeah, every every time yeah, every time they commander, people have had a different uh, mulligan rule. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's the thing with commander is that it's always a different mulligan rule. You're like, oh, you can scry three, or you have a partial mulligan, or uh, you can mulligan non lands if you reveal them, or whatever it is. There's always some weird mulligan, and you're like, I'm gonna do this wrong, or I'm. I'm, something's gonna, something weird is gonna happen because this is just not my muscle memory. But I assume after some time that muscle memory will build up. Maybe when I come home uh, from Vietnam, it'll be fine because I haven't done, I physically won't have done the uh, the scry mulligan for a long time. So maybe that'll help me get used to the new one. I, again, I'm assuming here that we're gonna take, get this new one. I think all all indications point to yes, but uh, yeah, I know it's gonna be a problem for me. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's likely it will come into effect, and we'll just have to get it. Yep. Um, all right, we did have some shady dealings coming out of the Mythic Championship. Uh, there was a disqualification in round sixteen, which is the final round of the Mythic Championship, right before the top eight. Um, yeah, this one, this one was a, a big shock for me. Um, so I'll, I'll read the. Uh, I'll read the full text of the, the like the Wizards of the Coast statement on the website. Um, so during a deck check in round 15 at Mythic Championship 2, the judge staff noticed an issue with Yuya Watanabe's deck where the sleeves of his Urza's power plants were marked in a specific way. Three Urza's mines and one Urza's tower had a different marking, and three Urza's towers and one Urza's mine also had a different marking. No other cards in the deck nor sideboard had any of these marks. The judge staff determined that the odds of this happening by accident were close to non-existent and disqualified Watanabe from the event. This infraction will be further investigated by the MPL, according to Wizards of the Coast representative. So there's a lot to unpack here. Of course, Yu Yu Watanabe, one of the greats of the game, Hall of Fame member, MPL member. Uh, he had just ID'd into the top eight. So he was locked for the top eight of this tournament when he was disqualified. And yeah, I think this is coming as a big shock to a lot of people. He was widely respected, never, as far as I know, never suspected of like cheating or any shady play before. But the circumstances here are pretty damning. I mean, I would probably agree with this statement from the judges that the chances of only his Urza's lands being marked and also being marked in three different ways is very very unlikely to be to be a mistake or to be chance, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's something that when when the, the news first broke because because I like you uh, as a player and because he has this, you know, a, a solid reputation, it's my my good instinct was oh there must be a mistake because I guess there's something like this happened before. I think it was at the French nationals or maybe Italian nationals where uh, players DQ'd for marked cards because they kept their land sleeved you know across different decks and had a kind of more more um. So they'd use their lands more often than, than the rest of the deck. Mm. So at first I was thinking maybe something like that. Do you remember that story? I do remember that, yeah. And it kind of makes sense, especially if you're like a limited player. A lot of limited players like leave their leave their lands sleeved and then they just sleeve up the they sleeve up the other cards after the draft or whatever. Um yeah. And this this also happens with sideboard cards. I know of people who have been disqualified for this for sideboard cards, where I mean from my perspective, I don't think anything shady was going on. It was literally just they shuffled these sideboard cards in, and because they had been using the regular deck cards for like let's say two days or whatever, at the end of those two days, the sideboard cards are significantly less worn than the main deck cards, so you can tell them out. 
which is even worse in some ways because it's like a side sideboard card is so important or whatever. So things like this can happen or things that are similar to this can happen. But yeah, I think you're getting to the point of why this is not like that. Yeah, exactly. So like as, as more details were revealed uh, and as, as we learned uh, what actually happened, uh, the fact that it was like not only were these, uh, not only were, were the 12 Tron lands, you know, marked separate from the rest of the deck, but they each had unique uh, unique markings. And I guess so it's, it's like you said, like the judges can determine uh, like the, the judge, again, these are the best judges in the world at, at, at this. Uh, so they have all the evidence for someone to determine whether or not this was uh, it was possible. This was an accident, like uh, like if this possibly was a mistake, like in examples like you described. Uh, but they determined that it's incredibly unlikely that this was a mistake. Uh, I'm looking at it here; it is very, very damning. Yes, definitely. And I mean, I'm not saying that this can never can never happen by chance, and it could. And I see, I've seen a few people saying. A few things such as what if he borrowed the deck okay yep could be however you should still be changing your sleeves uh in a tournament and it can be seen from coverage because he was on the feature match a few times that he did change his sleeves throughout the tournament i'm not sure how many times but at least once and the problem was on the later sleeves so it's definitely they, they weren't the sleeves that he got the deck in if he did in fact borrow it uh, the second thing that people were saying is that maybe the sleeves were came marked somehow from the factory, and he probably would have sleeved the cards, but like you know, all the power plants at the same time in consecutive sleeves, which is totally normal. That's how you sleeve a deck. But the chances of that are quite small. I feel like for three sets of four cards to be each marked in, or sets of four sleeves to be each marked in different ways, and then also. People were pointing out, like, well, it's a bit weird and it doesn't really follow that he would be cheating if he's got three Urza's Mines and one tower in one marking and then three towers and a mine in a different marking. But then the theory that I've seen from other people is that, uh, you know, maybe he, he marked them all separately, but he just messed up and accidentally sleeved one one tower into the mine marked sleeves and one mine into the tower marked sleeves which i find probably more plausible than some of the other explanations yeah exactly uh there's a saying we have in, in, in medicine um uh, if it sounds like if you hear hooves uh think horse before you think zebra uh, it's it's all the evidence here still looks so much like as much as we as much as i don't want to as much as i hate to admit it uh, and i don't want it to be true uh, it's just incredibly likely incredibly likely that he was cheating yeah so very unfortunate here. Um, of course, he is a Hall of Fame member. I don't think anyone has ever been expelled from the Hall of Fame. Uh, do you know of anything like that happening? Yeah, I think that's correct. I, 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 don't, I don't think anyone ever has. I, I know that there was one player who was like, he was voted in and he hadn't been inducted yet. And then he was disqualified for something. And I think he got a, a ban. And he then was not inducted into the Hall of Fame because of that. I know that that happened once but no player who's actually been in the Hall of Fame. And then also, what does this mean for his MPL status? Uh, so obviously it says at the end of the article, this infraction will be further investigated by the MPL. And, you know, if they find the worst, then what are they going to do? Are they going to kick him out of the MPL? Are they going to offer his spot to another player? What's going to happen? Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. These are all new territories. Um, it's, it's, we, don't have any, we don't have any precedent set before as to know where this is going to go. Uh, yeah, presumably there will be a further investigation. The same way there is a lead time between 
qualification and whether or not he'll be banned. Uh, I, I guess maybe at the same time that decision is made, uh, we'll get a decision on his status in the MPL. Yeah, I feel like in, in this case, because of the MPL situation, it might be a bit speedier. Um, and maybe we'll have an update sooner, hopefully. But uh, yeah, uh, overall, you know, disappointing all around. And hopefully we don't see any more stories like this about MPL players or any high-level players or any players at all. That would be great. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's sad to see something like this happen. But... Yeah, and obviously I say this as a player who is disqualified for cheating, but, you know, <laughs> I also... <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. You know, I still, you know, yeah, exactly. you, you, still maintain that I did not cheat, so that's fine. <laughs> I just... Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm not... I felt like I had to... Yeah, when I, when I opening own... For for uh, for disclosure's sake, I have to mention that. Like, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been so long now. People probably probably forgotten all about it. You know, it's, we have to remind the viewers that you have first you have first hand experience of of this. I certainly do, I certainly do. Um, but yeah, ev- even with that first hand experience and my propensity to like believe players in this kind of a situation because it's so it's it is often very easy to make a stupid mistake and have that look quite bad. Um, in this situation, it's like a thing that you have to go out of your way to do. So if 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 that's what it is, and it's not an in-game action that could be explained by stupidity, then I guess we have to assume the worst. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it's there's there's really apart from those two points, the factory or maybe it was the deck lens will, like that's really the only access. Uh, there's no there's so little there's so little wiggle room to explain uh, to explain how this happened. Yeah. Um, so speaking of the MPL and how they're going to handle this, uh, there was some further information shared about the MPL. And so a lot of people have been kind of creating this buzz of what exactly is the MPL? What does it do? Because they announced this last year and it's now existed for the last four months, I guess. These players have, have been part of the MPL, uh, the Magic Pro League, and there has been no league to speak of uh, to go along with these players' status in the Magic Pro League. So a few people, uh, I know like people have been getting antsy about this, and yeah, sure, the, the players have become streamers, many of them. Uh, they've become more visible. All that's great. But what is the mechanism for competing in this league, and will that eventually lead to extended stays in the league, or do you have to earn your spot in the league next year or whatever? And Wizards has started to answer these questions uh, uh, in this article, which I, of course, will link in the show notes. And basically, they have detailed the the league part of this. They haven't said kind of where it's going as such or where it will ultimately end up, but they have they have detailed a reward for it. Um, so basically, what they're going to do is they're going to split the players into divisions, four divisions, um, and they're going to be called splits. Um, and these splits, or uh, sorry, these these divisions will compete in splits, and the splits will feed the arena mythic championships. So the whole MPL are qualified for each arena mythic championship. They will be participating. However, what these league matches do for them is the top player from each uh, division, and the divisions are nicely named. Uh, the top player from each division will automatically get into day two of the arena mythic championship so that's a fairly that's a fairly big incentive so we're we're, we're going to have four players per mythic championship from the mpl 
who will automatically get to skip into day two. And presumably the other players, the other uh, 28 players, will just have to duke it out from day one with all the challengers. Um, so yeah, the, the the divisions are named after the Moxon. Well, all but one, because there are five Moxon. Well, I guess there's <laughs> there's like eight Moxon now, but uh, the original <laughs> five. Uh, so we have the Pearl Division, the Emerald Division, the Ruby Division, and the Sapphire Division. And so for each MTG Arena Mythic Championship, they will compete in this league, and the winners of each league will get that boost into day two of the Arena Mythic Championships. So this uh, this will be interesting to watch, and we will be able to watch it I think it's every Friday. Let me ju- let me just have a look in this article. Uh, sorry, Saturday. Yeah, each week they'll play best of three standard. We'll then air the matches and highlights Saturdays during the split from noon to four p.m. So Saturdays we'll be able to watch this. So this is uh, this is almost uh, programmed Magic tournament entertainment. This is like this is like Monday Night Football, but for Magic. Yeah, it's it's like like. Like, like like a league it's uh it's it's great that there's also it's also a, a new way to watch magic it's a new um new tournament with new stakes uh, like you said qualifying for day two automatically qualifying for day two for at a pt mc so yeah very excited to see this yeah i think it's great that they're introducing this kind of more more structure and more different ways to watch magic because this these mpl these magic pro league members uh they are there for our entertainment basically if you think about it like that like wizards would not be paying these people if they were not interested in using them to make money by entertaining their core audience so that's what they should be doing they should be on the hook to create regular content with some kind of a a goal on the line and like at the end of the day they all get to compete in these arena mythic championships for really good value uh again if we remember, there's only like 54 players in it or something like that, or 58 players. So they're all still getting to compete, but the four players who win each one, they're going to be they're going to be in a really good spot to win because, you know, they're getting a skip into day two. Imagine getting a skip into a day two of a GP. Like, buys are already a big deal. Um, yeah. This is going to be best of three standards, so full magic that we're used to. No kind of weird formats. And, you know, this is also going to, incentivize these players to metagame against each other and bring cool decks and show new decks. So I think this is a really, really good move by, by Wizards. Yeah, absolutely. Because I guess after after the um, the Invitational, we were, we, were very, we were very high in how the matches uh, were, how, how we could view the matches and then the matches as a, as a viewing experience. Uh, but we were just quite low on the uh, the, the format, the, the, so the, the single game format. Uh, so I think, I think the fact that we can see yeah, some, something similar on a regular basis, but using uh, best of three standard, very exciting. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't really watch any of the any of the Mythic Championship this weekend, as I mentioned, because it didn't really match up with my schedule. But I did like I got a chance to watch like ten minutes of it somewhere, and I was watching it, and I was like, "This is terrible. This is an awful viewing experience." Now that I've watched people play Arena, I don't ever want to watch people play Paper Magic again. And I, I really didn't think that I would feel that way, but I totally was like yeah i'm not into this uh i can't see what the cards are because i was watching a little bit of limited i was like i don't know what any of these cards are i don't know the new set i want to be able to like look at them big on my screen and see them the right way around and see see their effects and their power and toughness large um yeah that's that that was one of the 
the big takeaways that I got from just watching the Mythic Championship for 10 minutes that I really was not expecting to to feel. Yeah, yeah, it's, and it's, I I feel the same way. And I guess if you ask if you had asked me a year ago, I would have been uh, very against uh, uh, implementing uh, esports like this in Magic. But yeah, I think it's because it is such a complicated game. There's so many things to look at uh, as a viewing experience. So Arena is it's just better. Really is. Um, all right. Well, I think that's all of our kind of official news and Mythic Championship news for this week. Uh, but we do want to talk about some actual playing of Magic. So, Al, you've been playing Limited a lot, and I've been playing Standard a lot. Um, maybe you can kick it off with some initial impressions of War of the Spark Limited. Uh, yeah, so this is, uh, straight off, uh, I just absolutely love this format. Uh, so I, yesterday I signed up, like I said, I signed up for two uh, pre-releases. It was actually it was in the middle of the first pre-release that I signed up for you know, in advance. It was in the middle of that pre-release where I was like, this format is great, and I want to play more of it. Interesting. Uh, so, kind of, yeah, yeah. So, which, which I never, which I never done before. Uh, I've never been quite a big limited player, um, but I guess I am now. Um, yeah. So, I guess going in, kind of impressions I got from people who played it, played it before. Uh, I played like a tiny bit on Arena uh, before the pre release. Uh, the first impression I got was that it's very, very bomb heavy, uh, and that is that is true. Um, so, I guess it, it's you know, that, that was like you know, the first impression, uh, and I think my pool really kind of emphasized that. Uh, so my pool had, uh, so I'm going to draw some names out there, but I'll explain what, <laughs> explain cards, I guess, as we go. Uh, I had two uh, Enter the God Eternals. Uh, this is a five mana blue back removal spell that is four damage, gain four life, uh, mill four, and amass four. Uh, so I had two of those in my pool. And I had, uh, oh, I can't remember names. There's a, there's a blue black for a two tree that you can tap to take a counter off a creature, draw a card. Mm. Uh, I had one of those. So kind of, so basically, though, that's like, <laughs> so that, that alone is like, all right, yeah, I'm going to play the blue black. Uh, I had some kind of support cards. I had some early drops, uh, some more removal spells. So it's like, yeah, I'm right. Uh, blue back is fine. Uh, but then I had, but then I, well, this is as I'm opening the backs, uh, but then I opened Nissa and Ronis. So I'm thinking, oh, it, is it like a mistake to just God. open these bombs and not play them? Uh, so I, as I guess, so I guess, right, you know, green is, if you're going to splash any color, splash green, you know, green fixes itself. Uh, there is a lot of mana fixing in, in the format. Um, so I guess I, I, so I put together a Sultai deck that was, I guess, the intention was it would be green, uh, blue, green, splashing black. But then I was at this point to realize that I was actually, in, ter- in terms of creatures in my deck, I was in my, my pool, I was just very, very shallow in each of the three colors. So I, I couldn't really go deep into two and splash one. Um, so I, I tried a few different configurations. And, and because these bombs just so powerful, I was just like, I just have to play Sultai or any kind of configuration of Sultai. Uh, so my mana base ended up being five, five, six, and a gate. Uh, so five five six is not where you want to be. No, in the tree card deck. that is so poor. <laughs> yeah, so so it was, and like you know, so whenever I cast a, whenever I, I got to cast the bombs, the game was over very quickly. Uh, the format, so this this be the morning pre release. The format was yeah very like I said very bomb heavy. Uh, turns out enter the God Eternals is a very good way of dealing with opposing opposing uh, God Eternals because you could just you know remove it in combat and then uh, cast cast a spell post combat to mill your opponent's library to get it into the graveyard. Uh, which is pretty nice. Um, so in five rounds, Flavorful. every round I played against, I, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. More like exit the God of Turtles. Uh. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I think it was, I think it was just particularly strange. Uh, I think the packs just fell pretty strangely because in every, in five matches, in every match, I played against either a God or a Cobolus. Oh my God. What? That's terrible look. Did yeah. I, any games? Three, three, yeah, three out of five, my opponent had to go bullets. What? And there was one guy who I didn't play against. There was one guy who I didn't play against. His pool had two of them. 
What is going on with this set? What is happening? Like, I think there was, I think there was like ten Nicole bonuses opened in this sixty-player pre-release. Oh my god! Um, those bananas. Well, I, I guess because my deck was also ridiculous. Yeah, it lost to itself a lot. Uh, sometimes, like sometimes I draw the green black half before the, the blue half. Sometimes I don't just. Sometimes it, you know, my mana base looked like I was green black flash and blue. Sometimes my mana base uh, lay there in front of me in, in the game looked like I was a. Uh, uh, you know, blue, green, splashing, uh, black. Uh, so yeah, for, for when, I, when I lost my mana, I lost my mana. But when I when I, when when I got lucky and it functioned, uh, it functioned very well. Oh. Uh, so I ended up going three two. Okay, okay. Yeah. that's what I was going to ask. Um, it's not too. Yeah, bad. yeah. So it's you know, in the yeah, in the prizes, in the prizes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was about halfway through that. I yeah, and so the games were like felt very very complicated. There was like because of there's so many planeswalkers and all the planeswalkers have static effects, um, and also. Like there's some mass cards to have, you know, those kind of sliver effects, like uh, oh, zombies get dead touch, zombies get flying, zombies get menace and hexproof. Yeah. Uh, because there's so many static effects, just the boards was very, very complicated. And it was very just fun to understand gating and, and, and uh, lots of really kind of cool and interesting things to make. So I, I had such a great time. And I also opened a, a foil to Fairy, which uh, I was like, yeah, well, I guess this this pays for another another pre-release. Yeah. Uh, so I signed up for the evening one. And that was pretty nice. So, yeah, so then I told my, my, so best, I guess the, uh, my experience in the evening then was a lot was was, was very very different. Uh, so in round five or the morning one, I lost an opponent who had like a really a really kind of aggressive creature deck, uh, an aggressive. Deck. So he and he just kind of completely went under me. Uh, so I felt like this is also you know, when, when the format's slow, when people's aggressions are slow, when it's bomb heavy. If you can if you if you can just get a tight creature deck, uh, you probably just can go or run over run over your opponents if they're if they trying to play all the bombs. And uh, so then. What uh? Yeah, what what colors was that creature deck that you played against? Well, that was uh, that was green red. Okay, because that's that's the impression that I got that it seemed like green red would be the aggressive color combo in this set because I feel like uh, yeah exactly so yeah a lot of a lot of pro players and stuff have said and like just from my own observation it seems like the two drops in the set are like really super bad so a lot of times in sets like like in a core set or whatever you can just make a really aggressive deck by just drafting loads of, like, for example, red and white two-drops. But I guess maybe you can't do that in this set, so it's better to draft, uh, like, a red-green beatdown deck that has creatures that have, like, a good rate for the mana cost. So I feel like the aggressive deck in this in this format probably will be red-green more of the time than the other colors. Yeah, that, that, that sounds right. And, um, yeah, my experience since then and you know, after that uh, have confirmed that. Yeah, so green-red is just a kind of strong beatdown. I guess there's good five cards as well, uh, which which do help. Um, so that was kind of in my mind when I was opening my my second pool. Uh, so so the cards I opened, I opened so I opened uh, Dami Dami Raid. Um, I opened uh, Samut at a, at a common. Um, there's the green the, the red green five card, and there is uh there's like there's there's an uncommon tree drop in red green that it has um oh, it's a zero four that gets plus X plus O equal to the highest power of creatures control. Mm. So basically kind of you know, pay off cards for the regular creature deck. I was like, yeah, this is great. And my red was very, very good. I had Chandra. I had uh, like loads of uh, kind of cheap removal spells in red. I was like, yeah, this this, this is the guts of a great uh, red green creature deck. Except I had absolutely zero creatures. Uh, I I did not have nearly enough creatures to make uh, the creature deck work. So I kind of set that aside. Um, kind of, you know, was kind of going through my deck, going through, you know, going through the comments and the comments to see kind of, you know, instead of, Instead of kind of being led by uh, bombs and rares like you normally would be, I was trying to kind of see what I could make work uh, in comms and in comments. And I ended up landing on uh, a pretty sweet uh, uh, blue-red spell deck. 
Uh, and it seems like I just had the perfect balance of payoffs and a perfect balance of uh, cantrips and spells. Mm. Uh, that it just ended up being just a very sweet tempo-based uh, aggressive deck. Uh, and, it's, and so when I played it, this, the deck felt absolutely amazing to play. Uh, because mm. again, I was playing against people who were smashing for the bombs, who were playing three colors, and I was able to really just kind of you know, just you know bounce yourself, get around, get under. Uh, Chandra kind of underperformed, but uh, Jaya was absolutely amazing. So like, like I kept on missing the fact that uh, Jaya, so Jaya's static ability is uh, well, got red, red, red sources you control deal uh, one extra damage. Mm-hmm. So it just makes it just allows for all your small red creatures just to get through because yeah. uh, that also counts for creatures in combat. Yeah, uh, and it just kind of shortens the clock so much. Uh, it just gives you so many more options, and it was it was a, a very straightforward. So what I thought was very straightforward effect, which ended up working in like loads of really kind of cool and creative ways. That's cool. Um, so I, I did, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, it was in the evening. It was only four rounds, but I I did like a lot better uh, with this. I got my three one. Uh, I felt like this this. Uh, Blue Red Temple deck, Temple deck was uh, a lot stronger than what I was playing before. And can you talk about maybe specifically some of the cards that you had? Like obviously you said you had Chandra and Jaya. Maybe did you have some mix of the two mana r- red removal spells that we've talked about before? Or and what kind of creatures did you have? Like did you have like a lot of creatures? Only a few creatures? What was kind of the makeup of the deck? Uh, yeah, so I'm sorry, like I tweeted uh, both deck lists from uh, this day. I'll I'll, uh, I'll make sure to share them again using the Skullcrack Twitter yeah. uh, that I'm sure you all follow. Um, yeah, so, so I had uh, sort of, yeah, so yeah, I, I had um, I think it was two, uh, two uh, of, the, of Chandra's flame thing and uh, did two mana reboot as well. I have the, um, had a tormenting voice to think so, 1-1. One, one. Okay. So I actually, I want to be able to, sorry, I was be able to study <laughs> card names instead of, instead of uh, this kind of nonsense. Um, yeah, so in Chandra, uh, reboot spells, I had uh, one tree profit that gets plus one plus zero when you um, uh, when, when, when you cast a non-creature spell, yeah. Um, so I had, uh, yeah. So I had, I had the, the two drop districts. So the one two deck is plus one plus zero when you cast a non-creature spell. So yeah, I'll, I'll just rattle off some card names. Uh, so radical visionary, that's the uh, looter. Uh, Burning prophet, uh, uh, sky treasure districts. Uh, I had eternal sky lord, chain world cyclops, and invading manticore. Um, so that, yeah. So that, that was like most of my my, my core creatures. So the creatures themselves weren't great. Uh, not great you know, by themselves. Then was the, the spells I had, had last stop dating, uh, Callus Dismissal, various line twists, uh, two Chandra Spider Critics, uh, Spell Gorger Weird. Um, I have this in the wrong pile, apparently. <laughs> the photograph of uh, Honor, Honor the God Pharaoh, that's uh, the Tormenting Voice effect. Uh, Blind Blast, uh, Crush Descent, that's the four mana can- counter spell. Uh, Tamiyo's Tiffany, uh, Chandra Fire Artisan, uh, Raz Outburst, Totally Lost, and Giant. Hmm. Uh, I also had Blast Zone and Emergent Zone, hmm. uh, which. Um, I, I use those lands a lot less often. Uh, I think the last zone when we won game, uh, I was planning on doing some kind of you know, emergent zone made sense to include because I had some instant, instant speed effects, but uh, you know, I've got an instant speed effects to take advantage of if I'm flashing in something sorcery speed. I guess yeah, that was like, but I ended up just not using that at all. So I guess yeah, the deck was you know, the deck was pretty sweet. Uh, it, it's kind of had a kind of a like I an a mass sub theme. I guess kind of going in, I was kind of like yeah, you know just. Uh, you know, a new kind of great spell stuff, but yeah, I have kind of a mass as backup plan. But I guess like a mass, it kind of reminds me of um, Shadows of Strad in that it's just like a, a keyword that's just tacked onto so many cards that you're kind of happy to play anyway. And sometimes I'd like, I know, I, I'd you know, counter some spell with uh, with uh, Crush Descent, uh, which is basically a four mana mana leak. And I'd be like, yeah, that's pretty sweet. I got all my triggers on my creatures. Then I'm like, oh wait, this is a mass two. So I just get a two drop. I, I, get, yeah, I get a two two out of it. Uh, just so many cards just it's 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 just kind of add to your game plan um you know whatever kind of almost passively you know 
Yeah, that's a weird one. I can I can almost see people just like forgetting that the amass happens and then having to be reminded, hey, you know, you have a you got yourself a zombie there. <laughs> because like some of the some of the spells yeah. are like pretty decent and you would probably play them anyway. Like the one that's um I forget the name, but it's like one black black for to give a creature minus two, minus two. You might play that. It's not like great, but it also amasses one it amasses one, does it? Or amasses two? I think it amasses two. I think I think I think that was two, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like and like something like a yeah, it's a yeah, like an example of that as well, like last stop dating. Like last last step dating is uh, yeah, one blue for you and permanency control have X proof. That's kind of it's kind of card you can use like a lot of different situations. Yeah, uh, that just has a mass one on top of it as well. Yeah. It's great. Um and then yeah. or or another card that I think epitomizes this really well for me is Callus Dismissal. Because that's just like, yeah, I'll just play the bounce because my opponent has a big army now, so I'll just I'll just kill their army with this bounce. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I get an army too. I forgot. Yeah, exactly. I think I could call it a mind control whenever I was playing with it because if you use it to kill an army, you just, you know, you just get one as well. Yeah. And if you're just, if, you're, if two players are sharing the one token, you just take their token and put on your battlefield. Two mana mind control. It's great. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like those things that you see on the Magic subreddit every now and then that are like uh, the uh, D&D alignment charts, but for whatever, like for mana wars or whatever. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like uh, creature type purist or whatever. Well, Callous Dismissal is oh yeah yeah is a mind control for um I guess card type purist. Wait, is mind control an enchantment or a sorcery? Yeah, it's enchantment. It's an enchantment. Okay, never mind. Never mind. We'll, we'll we'll think about this more and we'll we'll figure out what exactly what relationship Callous Dismissal has to mind control. <laughs> no, we won't. Probably not. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that sounds really interesting. And your description of your blue red spells deck has me pretty hopeful for the format as well because. If that can come together for you in sealed, then it sounds like it should be able to come together in draft as well. Um, again, I haven't played any of the format. I'm interested in it. I really want to get playing it, but I just want them to make it the ranked format on on arena before I jump into it. Um, yeah. Oh, it sounds so good. Yeah. So, like I said, after playing after playing twelve hours yesterday, I I got home at like midnight. And I just said, uh, you know, stuck some pop tarts in the toaster, and I fired up my laptop and played some more. Um, and I played once more today as well. And so I feel like I, I try to hold it for next now, just just so just go in sealed. Uh, and I feel like so I actually feel like this blue red spells that came together a lot more often um, than I would expect it to. Oh, and okay. I'm tentatively tentatively saying it's the best deck. So okay. I think those the green creatures, yeah, those green creatures just don't seem very good at all. Really. It's yeah, yeah, like, and it's. I feel like all my, well, at least my experiences have has been uh, all my pools have. Uh, I, I'd always be struggling to, to find creatures to put in. Uh, there's like Naga Eternal, uh, which is a uh, basically a three mana for a three two. Uh, that I, I I find myself haven't played that so many times just as a as a curve fitter. Yeah, it it is weird the constraints of the format. Like when you have so many planeswalkers taking up spots, and then you also have. Like all these amass spells that are usually like or often instants and sorceries, it's kind of weird where you you're like you have all these non-creature spells, but in a way they can make creatures. Like like some of the planeswalkers can create tokens or whatever. Actually, quite a lot of the planeswalkers can create tokens. Um, it puts the format in a weird spot where you're looking at your curve and you just don't have as much creatures as you would expect. I imagine. Um, yeah, that's yeah, but and that's that's actually been the case. Um, and it's like and it just happens that the planeswalkers that do make creatures are you know very good as well. Sahili uh, is is Sahili, which also goes very well in the blue red deck, is absolutely insane. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to this to this format. It could, yeah, could be a good one. I love it. Yeah.
All right, and let's talk a little bit about standard. Uh, this is where I've had my experience because I bought that that pre pack of like fifty packs of War of the Spark, so I just cracked that open, got all the cards I needed to try out a few decks, and I've been trying stuff out ever since. Um, I'll probably talk about decks because. As we mentioned last week, we brewed a bunch of decks in this um, in this Google document um, featuring such names as Tud Deck Wins and Green Stumpy, uh, Mardu Aristocrats, Teamer Ral Combo, things like that. Um, some of them are better than others. I would say a lot of them are like starting points or just ideas that I had. Like this blue, black, amass deck that I thought seemed interesting that I have not put together yet because I don't even think I have all the cards. It's like Four Soul Diviner, Gleaming Overseer, uh, Kefnet, Enter the God Eternals, and then like Thought Erasure, Tyrant Scorn, Dread Horde Invasion, uh, Commence the Endgame. But so the, these are some decks that we put together, and you, you can give me your thoughts on some of these as well. I don't know if you're, there's one or two that you're interested in or that you'd like to try out, but I would probably like to talk about individual cards more than decks at the moment because i don't think i'm like the greatest deck builder of all time i have ideas sometimes i think i can i can tune a deck up pretty well but i'm not great at like blank page pie in the sky how do i make a good deck here um so i'll i'll just talk about what i've been playing a little bit and what cards i've seen on my side of the battlefield and on the other side of the battlefield that have impressed me um so I played a little bit of Team Morale. I played some blue-green Nexus. Uh, I've played some Grixis. And what else have I played? I've been playing a little bit of Mono Red in a few different versions. Um, and yeah, there have been things that have impressed me on both sides of the battlefield. Um, Jessica, or sorry, uh, Team Morale was one of the first things I tried out. And I got to combo someone off in game two. Um, so the, I guess the floor here on the Teamer Ral combo deck is that you basically just are the Teamer Wilderness Reclamation deck. Plus you also have this combo kill of Ral Storm Conduit along with two expansion explosions. Uh, so like in the first couple of games that I played, I was just able to kill people with big explosions off Wilderness Reclamation. Uh, there were some situations that were like clutch where I was only able to kill them because Ral doubled my explosion for you know let's say it was x equals eight and that wasn't enough to kill them but doubled with ral it became enough to kill them so that's like another avenue like another reason why i think he's he's still good or like also if you're a bit behind and you have let's say you have wilderness reclamation on board next turn you play ral uh and then you have one mana left over or something like that uh, you can minus on him and do something like play one of your Shivan Fires and remove two creatures. Uh, he buys you a lot of time, basically, and he pluses up to a lot of mana with his scry ability. Uh, overall, I think he's a good he's a good uh, addition to these decks, and I think he probably should be an addition going forward. I also threw in some Ral's Outburst to these decks, but I never saw it, so I don't know how it goes. Um... When I was playing this deck, I played against Blue-Green Nexus a few times, and I was like, hold on, I have to try this. Because uh, Commence the Endgame out of the Blue-Green Nexus decks is insane. Oh my god, I did not think of that. Holy shit. Yeah, so they, they just don't... <laughs> that is disgusting. Yeah, they just don't play Hydroid Crisis anymore, and now they can find their they can find their kill spell with, um, 
with search for Ascanta. And I mean, usually the 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 token, the army token, is massive because they have a bunch of cards in hand when they cast commence the end game, and they just have you know they have the game under control at that point. Um, yeah, I think that's just a straight upgrade. Another card again that I've seen in the same deck is Tamio. Tamio, I also think is insane because I, I think everybody knows the pain of playing against the blue green nexus decks when. You know, you, you've pressured them. You're playing like a creature deck. You're playing like Gruul or you're playing like Sultai. And you've pressured them a little bit, but they've been able to cast their Wilderness Reclamation. And they have like an Azkanta out, but they only have, let's say, three cards in the graveyard. And you're like, right, I probably have maybe another two turns before they flip their Azkanta. And then probably they're going off and I can't win. Uh, so if I fade a Fog on one of those two turns, maybe I can win. Well, when they play Tamio and they just minus and put the top four cards of the library into their graveyard looking for Nexus of Fate, like they literally name Nexus of Fate and they get it, and they've now filled up their graveyard so that Ascanta immediately flips, uh, you're pretty screwed in that situation. Good God. That is... I mean, yeah, I, I, I was always high on Tamio. I was always on Team Tamio. But um, now I, I, I want to disown Tamio because that sounds disgusting. I want nothing to do with that card. Yeah, I mean... Outside of that context, I don't think she's great. I don't know if there's any other deck that she fits in realistically. And, you know, after this deck rotates, I don't know where her place in the format will be. But for now, I think she's safe. You can get your place out to Tamio if you're playing Blue Green Nexus. Stick her in there. Of course, you are in a bit of a funny spot because you have so many four mana spells now with her and Wilma's Reclamation and what have you. And like Chemistry's Insight. So, you know, some cuts have to be made. An optimal build has to be reached for that deck. Uh, but yeah, I think some very exciting upgrades for that deck. Um, also out of the sideboard in that deck, I played against Narset, Parter of Veils, who her static ability says each opponent can't draw more than one card each turn. And she was insane against me. I was playing the team morale deck. So I was like, oh, so explosion just does damage now. It doesn't draw me any cards. Um, I can't cast, uh, chemistry's insight that doesn't do anything. And so then I immediately put her in my sideboard when I finished that game, when I lost horribly, uh, and then played it in the next game. And I, I played against another uh, Nexus opponent, and then I played Narset against them. And they were just like playing Growth Spirals and playing Chemistry's Insights, and they were literally doing nothing. They were not drawing any cards. They just, <laughs> I think they didn't realize Narset's text. I think they were a bit confused. They were mousing over a lot of things <laughs> in the battlefield. Uh, and yeah, Narset also I love that. helps you find the spells that you need as well because you can look through the top four and take any uh, instant or sorcery from there. So yeah, I think uh, Narset is a good sideboard card against controlling decks, decks that want to draw a lot of cards. Yeah, that sounds that sounds really sick. So, so it, seems, it seems like you played against a lot of decks. Of decks. Uh, do you find that of, of the time you play standard, it was mainly against those kind of decks? Uh, no, it kind of rotated between everything. I think people are in a big uh, kind of phase of experimentation now, and especially because there was no there was no standard uh, Mythic Championship. There's been no standard event, really, since the set came out. So, you know, because on Mythic Championship weekends as well, SCG doesn't do an event because they know that probably nobody would watch because everyone's watching the Mythic Championship. So it's, it's often down to SCG to do the first... Uh, standard event on the release weekend and we didn't have that this time so it feels like all the decks are like super in flux and nobody really knows what's good and what's not so i think that um and i'm sure a lot of people had came to the same conclusion that uh like a proactive deck is probably the place to be 
and like the most proactive deck there is is mono red so i was trying that out a little bit and i think as time went on i was beating a lot of nexus decks and then the meta started to slowly shift into a lot of sultai or wild grow walker based decks as a reaction probably to some of the mono red that was out there um and then it became like slightly less successful i went through a few different versions of mono red um the new cards that i tried out were Heartfire. So I think Heartfire is an interesting card. It is, in some spots, it wins you the game. So I tried it out in the Risk Factor slot in Mono Red. So instead of two Risk Factor, I had two Heartfire. Uh, just, just to be clear, I suppose I should say what Heartfire is. It's one in a red for an instant. Deal four damage to any target and an additional cost. You have to sacrifice a creature or a Planeswalker. So that four, four damage reach when most of your spells are three damage can be big game. I, I often find myself losing when my opponent is on one when I'm playing mono red. So the four damage from Heartfire is a big deal. Uh, it also really helps to be able to like sack a creature in response to, let's say, a moment of craving or Vraska's Contempt, or to be able to sack your Rekindling Phoenix in response to a Vraska's Contempt. Some of these plays are pretty backbreaking. However, the card is totally uncastable when you don't have a creature in play. And if you ever get to the point where your opponent has, has wiped your board of creatures and you have one or two heart fires in hand, you are so screwed. You wish those cards were risk factors. So ultimately, I think... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, ultimately, I think that was a failed experiment. And maybe heart fire is something that uh, these mono-red decks want to bring out of the board when they bring in Rekindling Phoenix at the same time because to save it from a lava coil or what have you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe it's something that kind of you, know, you change uh, both board. I guess in a way, uh, if you are leaning heavy hardfire, it's like it kind of forces your opponent to answer every single creature you have. Uh, also, which I guess is something they kind of already do. It's like you know, if, if uh, sometimes you just need to spend you know three mana or four mana to kill uh, you know a VG or fire monster to potentially switch off uh, Wizards Lightnings might have. So if you were kind of to bring in more creatures, like remember when uh, Modern used to play you know the one drop to zero two that pings all players every turn. Yeah, like if you were to bring in a card like that, which like usually you know, which which usually is kind of a card that your opponent probably will blank, um, or you know, probably, your opponent probably be loath to answer. Uh, if you're kind of bringing in more one drops like that, uh, which kind of go plays well until you have a heart fire, uh, maybe that's kind of a direction you could take. But then again, you're kind of you know, if you're playing bad cards to make cards less bad, maybe that's not where you want to be. Yeah, I definitely I think I would agree with that. And you don't want to be playing those terrible cards in order to enable your other situational card but one other card that i did experiment with in mono red was burning profit which you mentioned in your limited deck oh uh, one in a red for a one three yeah. human wizard so it's a wizard so it turns on wizard's lightning it increases the number of wizards in your deck and when you cast a uh, non-creature spell non-creature or instant sorcery i'm not sure uh when you cast uh instant or sorcery in this non -creature. Case, yeah non-creature uh you it, it gets plus one power until end of turn and you get to scry one so I find that very, very useful in a red deck because, like, uh, flooding out is like death in a red deck. You, you just can't let that happen to you. So it's really good for both pressuring and also, um, also making sure that your card flow is is a little bit better. You have a bit of bit of card selection. Um, so I do like that one, but I'm not sure. Like, it's a little bit slow, a little bit vulnerable. So I'm not sure of the optimal build in mono red yet but i do like it 
I think there is some mix of these new cards that you can use. I don't know if you necessarily need a full play set of Burning Prophet. Maybe you only need like two or three in your deck. Um, and I'm not sure what to be cutting for it either. Like maybe it should just be in that those couple of flex slots where I had the Heart Fires or you can have Risk Factor. Um, maybe you just put some extra creatures in there. But then the fact that you've got extra creatures makes you want to play the Heart Fires again. So it's kind of... There's a bit of push and pull there. I'm not sure. Mono Red is such a tight list these days that I never know what to cut. Um, another deck that I tried because... Yeah, like, sorry, go ahead. I, I was, was going to say that Burning Prophet just seems like it goes very well with uh, Experimental Frenzy. Uh, you can just make sure you never miss. Yeah, that it is really good with that. Yeah, when you can scry away lands uh, when you've got Experimental Frenzy, it is pretty insane. Yeah. Um, it's also good with... Um, no, that's it. <laughs> I was thinking it's good with Light Up the Stage, but it's it's the same. But it, it it's also good with Wizard's Lightning, of course, because it's a wizard, so it gives you extra extra ways to cast that that yeah. card for cheap. Um, another deck that I tried out was Grixis Control. Um, I can also tell you that a lot of people are playing Grixis Shells on the ladder. There are as many different types as... I don't know. <laughs> there, there are as many different types of, of Grixis Control on the ladder right now as there are players playing them. Uh, it seems like everybody's build is different. Some people have Thief of Sanity, some people don't. Some people use the Amass cards, others don't. Uh, some people are using like Hostage Taker or Rekindling Phoenix or Nicol Bolas, um, Nicol Bolas the Ravager, the, the creature version of Nicol Bolas. But the, the clear winner or the, the cards that are the same in every deck, I would say, are Thought Erasure and... Nicol Bolas Dragon God. I think those those two cards yeah. are in every single Grixis deck. And I gotta tell you, those are some good cards. Um, I really like playing the Grixis decks because you feel like you can deal with anything, but the games go so long and sometimes you just don't get there. Um, again, I also tried a few versions. I tried a mass version. I tried a version with like Augur of Bolas. I'm gonna say I don't like Augur of Bolas. But I, I want to cut that. But I, I've seen other people playing them as well. Um, the cards that have impressed me from the deck are, of course, Nicol Bolas, Dragon God himself. He's a good card. Uh, Angrat's Rampage has really impressed me, especially for uh, picking off Planeswalkers from behind a load of blockers. That's that's a problem that comes up a lot against Sultai when they've managed to play like a few Explorer creatures and then they play uh, a Vivian Reed behind them, you know, to for protection. And you're just like, yeah, Angrat's Rampage, you sack that Vivian Reed. Um, so I've really liked that. Yeah, that's pretty great. Um, other cards that I've liked are Liliana. I think she's good, but not great. I think she's a good top-end card. Uh, her minus two is usually fairly devastating. And then the plus two, or the, the plus one, buys you a lot of time because you're usually able to, like, chump block with the zombie and then, like, you're, you're drawing cards. So I think she's good. And Ugin has been pretty good as well when I play him. He's been able to kill Wilderness Reclamation a couple of times, so already paying dividends. Yeah, it seems like Ugin definitely shores up a big big uh, gap in, in Grixis. <laughs> I think it's funny how you mentioned that you blame Grixis makes you feel like you can handle, you can, or this version of Grixis makes you feel like you can, uh, you know, you can handle anything they throw at you. Whereas that's that's usually not being my experience playing Grixis when you're like, oh, I'm just dead to an enchantment if it resolves. Uh, so yeah. it, it, it's great to hear that Grixis does have, have more more than more than this hand destruction and kind of spells. Yeah, th- there are there are certain permanent types that you are still afraid of, but yeah, you're just 
you're kind of hoping that you just manage to thought erasure those things, which is not really a good strategy. So like when both players are top decking and the other player can just top deck a wilderness reclamation and then start drawing millions of cards every turn, it's not very good. And that problem still exists yeah. in Grixis, which is why I ultimately think Grixis is probably going to stay about where it was before anyway. Like Nicol Bolas is really, really good, but I don't know if he's that much better than what Grixis could already do. Um, he lets you close out the game a bit faster, but he doesn't help you when you're behind in the worst ways of being behind that Grixis already had. However, there is a card in Grixis that I'm very excited about and has been fantastic every matchup that I've played it. It's Tyrant's Scorn. So that's the blue-black instant modal spell. Destroy a creature with converted mana cost three or less or return target creature to its owner's hand. This card, I, I was even keeping this in in like control matchups or control mirrors. Uh, or like especially against um, like Grixis Mirrors because I was returning Augur of Bolas to my hand to draw a new card or I was oh my God. their army token uh, or I was uh, bouncing their Liliana zombie token so that I was able to attack their Liliana. There was always a target for it. Yeah, that seems pretty insane. Uh, and is this, are you playing uh, Enter the God Eternals? You mentioned that? Um, Honestly, I haven't really liked Enter the God Eternals. It's not very good in, like, Grixis, um, Grixis Mirrors, because there's not that many creatures running around, and, like, you would probably have to play it on their Enter the God Eternal, the, like, the zombie army that's left over from their one. And it's kind of like, who do I mill? Because this is a control matchup, so it could come down to decking, so I'm not exactly 100% sure who to mill here. Um, yeah, yeah. And the life is irrelevant there. And then versus like cards or, or sorry, decks like mono red or things like that. Like it's it's good, of course, but it's still a five mana spell. You're going to have a hard time getting to that five mana in order to cast it. So honestly, I'm not a big fan of Enter the God Eternals. I think it's not quite as good as it's cracked up to be. And then against things like against the likes of Gruul or against Sultai, it often is not enough damage to kill whatever you want to kill, and you'd rather just like have a kill spell. And depending on your build as well, that um, that army token maybe is not going to grow much bigger than that four four, which sometimes is just not enough. Like if you think about it, it, tra- it trades with like a jade light ranger, so it might trade with a, a jade light ranger, like two jade light rangers or something like that, which which is good. Don't get me wrong, that's good, but it's not really that good. It's not. It's not win the game good. For five mana, I mean, Nicol Bolas wins you the game. So you'd rather play him in, in a lot of circumstances, I think. Okay, yeah. That, 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 it's, 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 I guess it's very counter for kind of what my impressions are just looking at the cards. But yeah, I guess when you see them in action uh, and seeing how, yeah, just even how that four or four token lines up with most boards, the standard. Uh, yeah, it sounds like you are, you are right about this. I mean, we'll have to see how it pans out and like what decks are built around it. But it's been one of the cards that has been underwhelming for me so far. Um, I'm trying to think of okay. more cards that I've seen that have been exciting or... Uh, are there any you can play Blast Zone? Blast Zone? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the blue-green Nexus decks have been playing Blast Zone. <laughs> it's been okay. I mean, sometimes it takes out a permanent or two. Um, yeah, I mean, there's been a few spots where I've I've had enough pressure that my opponent actually just didn't have enough time to put enough counters on it like to do what they wanted to do. Uh, but like there was a time, again, when I was playing Mono Red, 
and I had an experimental frenzy in my hand, but I didn't have enough mana to cast it yet. I didn't have three mana, but like my opponent had gone mad with their growth spirals or whatever, and they had a bunch of mana, and they were just funneling mana into Blast Zone every turn, and they just put it on four. And I was like, okay, well, now oh, yeah. I can't play my experimental frenzy because, well, I can, but it's going to die immediately. So it, it, it is good in that way. It, it does give uh, the Nexus decks like a, an out to problem permanence that they didn't have before or a way to wrath the board without playing red um, against aggressive creature decks. So I, I think it is a good pickup for those decks. Other decks, I don't really see it. I don't like it in like just normal control decks, especially because... I feel like the normal control decks of this format are Grixis, they are Esper, which have very heavy color requirements. So I just don't think you can support playing those colorless lands. And if you can, then it's like maximum one. And at that point, it's like, well, you're making your mana worse for not much of not much of a good effect. So you'll probably lose more games to the bad mana than you will to winning uh, from having this extra removal spell in your lands. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, again, been underwhelming in, in my opinion. Okay, yeah, that's, that's, that, that makes sense. I think it's, I feel like it is a very interesting, interesting card. Like you're saying, it's you can, um, it kind of allows you to play against an out that you know your opponent might get to put them back in the game. So you're like, all right, against Fauna Red, if they slam down to Frenzy, it's game over. So I'll just, yeah, start pumping this up to four. It's like when you play Blast Zone onto an empty board, um, and you, and you know, once you have a plan of what to do with that Blast Zone uh, for later on in the game, uh, it just kind of creates a kind of very, you know, sets up some interesting lines for you to, to take. That is true. That is true. Uh, I, one other deck that I probably want to mention before we wrap up is um, like heroic decks. So I've played against a couple of them and they've all been a bit different. But the, the best one that I played against was a straight red, white heroic. Well, that's all I saw out of it. And it was playing um, the 10th District Legionnaire and the Dreadhorde Arcanist. And honestly, I played three games against it and I never saw Feather from them so they never they never had their best card in play against me and they destroyed me so it was just like oh well there were so the the best line that they had against me was so 10th district legionnaire naturally has haste it's red white for a haste 2-2 and when you um when you target it it gets a 1-1 counter and you get to scry one is it or draw a card you actually don't know it's about um uh, i think it's draw a card 10th district you get to scry one sorry okay so it's scry one um so yeah the, the best line that they had was cast this on turn two attack me for two then i play nothing on my turn two they play a land and dreadhorde arcanist which is the one three for two and um it has when when it attacks you can cast a spell from your graveyard with power like with converted mana cost less than the power of arcanist for free uh, so they played land, they played that, they played Samut's Sprint on the Arcanist, uh, which made it a, uh, so that Samut's Sprint is uh, plus two, plus one, and uh, haste to a creature until end of turn. Then, so that was three power. Then they attacked with both, and they got to cast the Samut's Sprint again from the graveyard for free onto the 10th District Legionnaire, which gave it a counter plus, plus two, plus one. So it was attacking for five, so they were attacking for eight on turn three after already attacking for two on turn oh, two. And, like, and they got to scry one twice out of that. And they just had like good creatures on the board, and the 10th District Legionnaire was now at 3-3 permanently. And like that was like a fairly normal draw from them, I feel like. Uh, so I think that was a quite... That's a deck of promise to me. Um, now I know just like random 2-2s are definitely 
exploitable, you can moment of craving, or you know, there's any number of um, small creature destroy spells. So the the deck is not you know totally immune to removal, or it is fragile in some ways. But I think that might be a, a deck to to investigate uh, next for me. Oh yeah, yeah, that sounds it sounds like it'd be very powerful. Uh, I played against Feather yesterday at the pre-release, and um, yeah, it is it is pretty bananas, especially if you're getting. Yeah, especially with, even with something as simple as Summit Sprint, Summit Sprint uh, over and over can, um, can take you very far. Yeah, I mean, giving all your creatures haste repeatedly certainly breaks the game. You know, you, you that's not what you're expecting from these kind of a deck. There are these kind of decks. So, and then you're giving it plus yeah. three power from like if you're if you're targeting ten district legionnaire, it's getting plus three power instead of plus two. It's it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm interested in that. Yeah, and trying out a few variations. I'm sure there are different ways to build it other than just straight red-white, um, but that's probably where I'll, I'll try to start with. Any any decks that, yeah, that, you, got that you want to try? Yeah, I guess so. Like one thing, I, I suppose you, you, you briefly mentioned Liliana. Uh, I, I was very high on Liliana. I kind of, you, you said you, were, you weren't impressed with it in Grixis. Uh, I was thinking just adding Liliana just to Sultai or even this green-black. Uh, just, have, just have that explore shell mid-range uh, right up to Liliana because it's, it's, her, her mind just seems back-bending to uh, so many decks. Yeah, she, she definitely does fit in that shell. Yeah, that's that's where I think she belongs. Just at the top as a one or a two of in black decks, either mid range or even control. Control is fine as well. I think. Um, I have seen arguments from people uh, yeah. that the the big Vraska Vraska Relic Seeker is is generally just better than her, or even just like the same. And I think I would agree with that. I think I think it's probably. I mean, it, it ultimately threatens people more it deals with more permanence but it's not as good value as liliana in other situations so like in situations that are not quite as extreme um i think in in the average case liliana is probably going to be better because she'll allow you to draw more cards um whereas vraska is just getting you pirates and yeah i think yeah. hoping you can ultimate and then attack with the pirates which doesn't always work out yeah yeah i guess yeah, liliana is just probably probably better at an empty board and then i guess like Kind of behind in some situations, I guess she's good. It depends what it is. That's what you're behind. Um, yeah, if you're if you're losing to frenzy or losing to the reclamation, you know, obviously you prefer to have uh, a Vraska there. That is true. You can kill enchantments. Yeah, it's, just, it's double edict. Double edict. It's like it's 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 just like double edict is just so much better than wait. I, I try like wait, her 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 minus is far stronger than two edicts. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay, let, me, let me start that again. Um, double edict is more than twice as powerful as a single edict. Is it? How? How is it? Oh, because it's like you're 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 giving your, your opponent far less choice than you would if you just cast. Um, if then <laughs> I don't know to do terrible job of this. Yeah, no, uh, no. Which I guess it, it's it's yeah, I, I yeah. It, I, I guess it's because I, I suppose yeah, it, it's it's um because so many times you can kind of play a second creature to defend yourself from something like the Eldritch Reborn or or any other edict effect. Uh, I guess it. it her her minus just shuts down. It just prevents your opponent from doing so much. It just prevents your opponent from making any kind of meaningful choice uh, in the face of it. Uh, so it's more than powerful than double edict. <laughs> I'm sure that, uh, if it's getting late here. I'm 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 sure I can think of a better way to phrase this. I'm pretty sure I explained this a lot better to somebody yesterday. No, it's fine. You you got it. That's printed. We're <laughs> we're putting it on the box. That's the name of the episode. It's very good. Double edict. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that's probably going to wrap us up for today. 
I I don't have that much more to say about standard. There there are a few more things that I want to try and maybe some experiences that I've had that I can't recall yet. Um, but yeah, forging my way into this bold new standard. I'm trying to make top 1000 mythic again. Uh, this this season it is now the the 29th, so we just have we just have two days left. Yeah, I guess the end of Tuesday is uh yes yeah, for me it's the 29th anyway. It's already into the earlier okay. Monday morning. Um, uh, yeah, so we have until Tuesday. I'm hoping to make it into the top 1000 mythic again, just because uh, last month I did make it, but I never got my confirmation email. I did talk to a customer service representative who told me that I made it. So I've kept that email as proof, uh, but I'm wary. So I would like to finish in the top 1000 again. Yeah, yeah you'll be fine. I'm sure, I'm sure you'll be, you've got, to, you've got a good shot at it. Yeah, just to be safe, just to be safe. All right, uh, so that's oh, yeah. going to do it for us this week. If you want to uh, ask us about anything we discussed today or give us information where we were horribly wrong, uh, you can email us, skullcrackpodgmail.com. Uh, that's skullcrack, uh, C-R-A-I-C. Uh, or you can tweet at us, that's at skullcrack on Twitter. And uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks, bye-bye. Bye-bye. since you did a tournament report but would you like to hear the tournament report i would very much why why are you not doing this in the main episode oh well because this is not magic gathering this is uh, another card game uh, comparable to magic gathering what um that's it, it exactly blasphemy this has far fewer cards than magic it's a uh, it has only 52 cards uh, and it's basically only only has there's only four colors uh, and only 13 spells and it's basically just 13 spells that are just color shifted uh, four times <laughs> And your opening hand is uh, two cards rather than seven. So it's a lot easier to magic. Or so I thought. I am talking about poker. Uh, the Irish Poker Open happened uh, last weekend. Um, actually, all last week. It was a very, very, very big event uh, with a massive uh, prize purse. Um, a, million, a million euro prize purse in total. Uh, I was not playing in the main event because, yeah, it's a crazy. That is. People react there, David Wolf. Crazy. That is, that is mad. I don't know if people heard my what. Hey. Some, sometimes when you're talking, yeah. it, cut, it cuts my tech, my uh, my audio. But I, I I exclaimed what very loudly there. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, I think so. The top player got um, three hundred thousand euro. Uh, entry is one thousand five hundred to enter. So obviously, if, if you're compared to a GP, this is the, the numbers. The difference in numbers. Uh, it's a huge amount to enter. Uh, a friend of mine, he he had uh, qualified through a satellite tournament, so so paying less for a satellite tournament online. Uh, as a prize being um, a qualification for the Irish Open, which he got. So he's playing in the Irish Open for most of the week. Uh, he got very far. He cashed out, um, but he uh, he was not playing on Sunday. But then on Sunday, uh, he he convinced me to go down uh, to play in a side event. Um, so I played in. So basically, when I arrived there, it was it was huge. This is out in the uh, City West, uh, the, the Dublin City West Hotel. Uh, the venue was like huge. It was as almost as comparable in size, I think, to a GP. Uh, which made me kind of think, oh, maybe maybe Ireland can have GPs. I guess it was like a little bit smaller than a GP. Um, so it was a yeah, huge venue, and you know, the most notable difference uh, between this and a GP was 
I had a big, massive bar, a huge bar, like you'd see, like at a music festival, uh, with loads and loads of staff, uh, all um, in plastic glasses. Um, so it was just people just happily you know, drinking and playing away, playing and drinking away uh, at, at the poker tables. Um, just... So it was a it was a wonderful atmosphere. It was someday when we might have a GP like that, because uh, I, I immediately felt at home uh, when I walked in. Yeah, that that sounds um, better than a GP. Uh, yeah. So the, so the, the side event I played in. Um, so actually, I suppose there, there's there's kind of cash games that are constantly ongoing uh, there. So I, I played one of those just for a little while. That's what I was waiting for the side event I was uh, signed up for to start. Um, so the side event was had, so I had two hundred and thirteen players. Uh, had a total prize pool of twenty thousand euro. So it's it, it's bigger than than a than a GP side event. Um, what? So it was, it was so just, just in, in in the face of that, I was very intimidated sitting down, and I was like, oh, I I, I turned this background for myself. I played a lot of uh, kind of home kind of, kind of casual home games with friends. I played a little bit online. I played like, cash game in casinos like very rarely. So I have a good grasp of the game, a good grasp of the strategy, but uh, I just hadn't played in a big event like this. Uh, so I was very intimidated and scared sitting down to play in the side of it. Yeah, I, this sounds... We need to get some stuff going with Magic like this. This sounds great. I just want to play some cash games of Magic. Yeah, exactly. It's... it's uh, yeah. I know it's against the rules. It'll probably get wrapping. I know, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just like, there's just so much money involved in it and, and everything. Just, just look, looking around and... Uh, it's like a whole whole over different cash games and different stakes. Um, the, the and it was all it was all you know, there's like theaters at every table, so and you know, theaters are all very, uh, very professional and trained to high standard. Uh, so it was all very very professional atmosphere. Um, yeah, I guess so. Going so going to this tournament, my device that my friend gave me was um, that uh, he just said, you know, just only play premium hands. Uh, also, it's actually first of all, I say that this is a no limit Texas, no limit Texas Hold'em. Uh, this specific tournament I signed up for was uh, a deep stack turbo. Uh, I did not know what either of those words meant uh, as I sat down. Um, so I guess, well, I, I figured that a uh, deep stack meant that, you know, just the chips you're given to start off with you know, are, are very deep uh, in, you know, relative to the blinds that are posted. Mm. Um, yeah, so so when I, when I sat down, yeah, before I started, my friends, so his, his quick advice was, um, uh, yeah, only play premium hands. Uh, only, only play the very, very best hands, just fold everything else, and, and you'll do well. So that's, so that's basically all I had to go on. Uh, and then my own... Uh, mediocre poker skill uh, to back that up. Um, yeah, so, so so I sat down. Uh, eight other players at the table. Uh, so the game started. Yeah, I was just folding everything worse than than uh, Jack Jack. Uh, I guess actually before that, uh, I was the first person supposed to be blind. So yeah, it's like you know, like what like like what at a home game. There's a dealer chip, um, four blind posts and big blind posts. Uh, so yeah, dealer asked me to post a big blind, so I put you know like twenty five um, cents or dollars or whatever the unit was. So I put twenty five out in front of me. Uh, and then the dealer, so the dealer reached over, so I had 25 out in front of me. Then the dealer reached over to my stack and took another 25 and put that on top of it. Um, actually, sorry, no, sorry, I'll start again. Sorry, it was a big line, that's 50. I put out 50. And then the dealer reached over to my stack and took a second 50 and put it on top of the first one. Okay. And I was like, well, what the hell is this? Yeah. And I was like, did I just get robbed? I was like looking around, nobody is reacting. I was like, maybe this just, maybe this just happens here. Uh, so it turns out this is uh, the turbo aspect of, uh, of turbo deep stack. So this was uh, an anti. Um, so usually Nanty is just like small amount, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's a small number of chips at every pair of posts at every hand, just to kind of just to keep every pot big, just to make sure the cash is flown and kind of helps so speed the game up. Uh, so as far as I know, this was fairly unique to have a a big blind, uh, you know, a, an anti on the big blind, uh, as you call it. So basically, the big blind just posts two big blinds, uh, which is absolutely devastating. Especially uh, the blinds are moving up very quickly uh, in this tournament. That's uh, that's really bad. Not like really bad, but it's yeah, exactly, yeah, harsh for the big blind. 
yeah, exactly. And I took, I took a full cycle of the blinds for me to realize what it was because <laughs> I was looking at it to see if it was happening to anybody else <laughs> because I, I didn't know what it was at first. Um, yeah, so basically, I, I just, I said, so I think one thing that kind of felt like magic has helped me you know, for dissipation is that you know, I sat down, uh, I knew I was going to play very few, very few hands, uh, which is obviously very boring when you're folding you know, anything worse than jacks. Uh, but I, I just paid special attention to what every single person at the table was doing. I realized that you know, other players weren't. You know, when other players folded their hands, they'd be like, you know, out on their phones or be looking around or you talking to people walking by. Um, but uh, there's actually there's one guy, one guy, I swear to God, he actually had a tablet out in front of him and he's playing poker online in between hands at this game. That is, uh, that's dedication so, to the game. That's, that's yeah, exactly. It's dedication. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he was, you see, like he was, it's dedication to the game, but he was not very invested in, in our game. Uh, yeah, so I'm honest, I'm just watching everything that happens. I'm taking note of every little action. But it's the same way you would like in, in a booster draft of magic. You're you know you're kind of constantly you know, adding data points to, to this database of information you're building uh, as the draft goes on, or in this case as, as the, the hands went out. Uh, and then very quickly I realized that uh, the vast majority of people vast majority of people playing on the table are garbage. Uh, there's some people making very questionable calls, some people making very questionable bets. Uh, I've seen kind of you know hands where it's very evident that someone is, is, is bluffing. Uh, I'm thinking, oh, this sort of person, he's, you know, this, that, that, that's still uh, bending against this bluffer is eventually going to realize and fold. Um, but then, no, that just, uh, then you know, when we kind of see that doesn't happen, uh, you're kind of seeing people constantly kind of make really kind of passive plays that don't really do anything. Um, so I'm sorry. So as, as I'm watching, I'm, you know, I still haven't updated hand yet. I'm still starting to realize that, yeah, maybe, maybe I, I, I do have a chance of, of getting somewhere in this tournament. Um, so over the first two hours, um, I, if you imagine how many hands I dealt over two hours, I probably only actually played, I put money in the pot or four hands and I was a chip leader by a huge margin after two hours. So it's really kind of the you know, quality of hands rather than quantity of hands. So I, I was basically most of the time just sitting down watching everybody else play. Once I got a premium hand, I just you know, made plays that uh, just extracted the most money out of uh, other players. So that seemed like a very, a very good strategy. So I was off to a good start. Nice. Sounds good. And um, what went wrong? <laughs> yeah, so I suppose, so, uh, I guess it's so towards the end of the first, so there's, there's a break, say, there's, there's a break at the, at the first, uh, after, after the first two hours are up. Um, so I guess there's one point I'm, I'm going to, I've, I've hands that is, uh, oh, this last week, I can't remember. Um, yeah, I had King 10. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of in a good position to, to, to make a bet. Um, so I, I make it, I make, I, so I, I make a bet of three big lines uh, before the flop. Uh, lots of people fold. Uh, there's one guy who's on a short sack. So one guy he's got, you know, he's not very much left. Um, he he uh, he ra- he re- he re raises all in, which is kind of something I, I was kind of expecting to happen because you know when when you're when you're falling behind when your stack of chips is low, you usually just have to go in, go all in. Uh, you know, if you have any kind of decent hand, because uh, you might never get a chance to do it again. So I made my bets anticipating him to go all in. Uh, so I just snap called it without 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 thinking. And it was only after I snap called I realized that his his stack actually wasn't quite as small as I thought it was because he had like some high value individual chips. So even though it was it was a uh, even though his stack was physically small, uh, it actually was quite a big raise that he'd made, uh, which I called. I mean, it was, I think, I think in terms of numbers, um, he, yeah, so his, his bet was uh, 13,000. Uh, my total uh, stack, it was 60,000, so like a lot more than anybody else. Um, so, so, yeah, it was something like I could easily call. I probably still will call with, with King 10, uh, but I just made this call without even thinking about anything because I, I assumed when he said all in, it was only for uh, an amount that was slightly more than the original bet. Um, so, yeah, so he revealed his hand. It was ace five, which is, is not great. Uh, so I'm thinking like, oh, well, it was. I think I was still probably right to make that call, but I, I eventually lost that hand because you both missed a flop and you just won the ace high. Um, so it's something I, I was looking back at. Oh, well, it didn't really feel necessarily like a punt. Uh, it was only because I didn't. I got. I kind of used incorrect information to make my call. Um, and the uh, 
And I, I guess I suppose maybe if I, took, if, if, if I took some more time to consider the amount he actually was betting, uh, maybe I would have made the same call. Maybe I still call it with, with, with Team 10 uh, against uh, against uh, Swansea. But uh, then again, I'm I'm still learning this. So <laughs> I'm still trying to try to figure it all out. Um, so I guess that, that was kind of the only kind of really kind of first hit. But then after that, I kind of pick it up and start playing again. Uh, people around much, so other people around the table start getting, getting knocked out very quickly. Um, there's one guy. Uh, so I noticed one guy. He's sitting opposite, directly opposite from me. He, from me, he's a he's just a big guy with a beard, and he's he's the only person who's really talking at the table. He's kind of you know um, he's kind of commenting on hands, commenting on plays. He's trying to make it seem like he knows what he's doing. Uh, well, it's just evident that he he doesn't. Um, he gets he's like and he's getting like super super tilted uh, as you know as, as hands go by. Uh, so there's one point. Um, uh, one point he goes in on the hand. Uh, so sitting sitting directly to my right is a, an an older uh, Asian gentleman. Um, he's a uh, he's he's been playing very passively so far. Uh, one hand comes along where he makes a bet pre-flop, which is the first the first time this happens. So the Asian guy makes so the uh, Asian guy makes a, a bet pre-flop. Uh, a lot of people fold. Um, you know, big guy with a beard who's been very mouthy and you know talking off people. He he uh, he calls it. He kind of says something like, "Oh, I think you have. Oh, I I." I Kind of the basis is kind of saying, oh, I think you have this card or this card or whatever. Uh, so the flop comes out, uh, two six jack, uh, and uh, yeah, Asian guy, Asian guy who had made the battery flop, he uh, he fires off uh, a big bet, and your know, big guy to beard, he's he's in the tank, he's thinking. Uh, at this point, I'm thinking, you know, I think I'm, at this point, I'm thinking that he probably had uh, like a low pocket pair, uh, which would lose to uh, the original better, you know, if the original better had jack and another card. So this guy, he's 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 seeking for a while, and eventually he he uh, he folds, and he goes ah, he goes ah, I bet you had he had jack five, that's your daddy, jack five or jack four, or something like that. And then uh, as as you know, as the older Asian guy is is, is, is you're bringing all the chips to him, you know, he's not responding, but then eventually he just looks up and he says, I had ace two, uh, which is a very bad hand in this context. Uh, the 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 big guy to beard, he just like has this like look of, of shock that he got beaten by such a bad hand, and uh, you know while his shock was upon his face. Uh, the Asian guy raised one finger and said, and they were suited, uh, as if that changed the situation somehow. Uh, and then the big guy with the beard, I suppose for context, this is like a meme in poker that a lot of new players, you know, a, a lot of new players over, really over-evaluate uh, cards that are suited, because I think cards being suited only adds like about 2% or 1% even to how good they are. So the big guy with the beard, he, uh, he, 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 he's like, he took in this information and he thought to consider for a second and then uh, he said, "Oh yeah, man, you gotta you gotta love those suited cards. Yeah, yeah, the suited cards are, are are where it's at. Almost like he's recognizing that um, that you know, this player has has a, mis- a, a misconception about the game, but he's trying to reinforce his mis- misconception about the game uh, in order to, uh, to, to in order to start for value. Um, but it turned out none of that mattered because I knocked the board out in the next hand. <laughs> okay, is that <laughs> so? Hmm? That's great." Uh, yeah, so it was after after there's a two hour, there's after, after the first two hours there's a break. Uh, I moved on to another table with, with kind of people bigger sacks. Uh, so at this point we're going very very deep into the tournament. Um, you know, a lot of people get knocked out. Uh, there's like a, there's like a screen that kind of says how many how many people are still there. Uh, there's an announcement made that uh, they'll start paying paying prizes out to people from twenty uh, to place twenty third and less. Uh, so I'm sitting at this other table, all these other players, which I guess was kind of jarring because. I am, um, you know, I, I taken so much information about my first table. I felt like if I say if I was able to stay on my first table for longer, I could have done a lot better. Uh, but we're all moved after after people started to drop off. So I'm playing on this new table. This new table with people not I'm not I'm not used to yet. Um, I also haven't really changed my strategy. I'm still kind of playing really tightly, which I guess is something that I probably should have. I probably should have loosened up a little bit more because we're going deeper into the tournament. Uh, and like I said, the blinds are going up very very aggressively. Um, so eventually on, on that table, I I, I I lose a little bit of value in, in maybe one or two hands. 
eventually you'll kind of down to the short stack. There's like people coming up. So people are constantly being moved from table to table. Uh, people, new people are coming onto my table now. I'll have like massive stacks. Uh, so eventually I'm in a position where I'm like, I'm not I'm like the short stack guy for the first table where I'm like, all right, well, I, have just have to, I, have to, I just have to go all in on any kind of marginally playable hand because I'll, I'm you know, at risk of being blinded out. Um, so yeah, eventually I, yeah, so eventually I, I, I um, get a hand of uh, Jack Ace. Uh, two people uh, uh, limp in before me, so two people kind of make the minimum payment uh, into the pot before it comes to me. Uh, I just go all in. Uh, everybody else at the table folds except one guy calls it. Uh, guy called it has uh, ace, ace, queen, um, and beat me with that. And uh, so I, I, I ended up finishing 60 uh, out of 212 with uh, payouts. Uh, payouts I got further than 23rd. Oh, so that was the end of my poker crusade. Sad. It was off such a good start. I know. I felt I felt like I knew what I was doing. Uh, I think I had a senior practice, I think, um, in, in, a, in a format like that. I definitely knew how to play early game well, uh, early, early stage of the tournament. I did bottle it. That's kind of, um, that's interesting. I, I never, I didn't realize that they would bring in new people to the tables. I didn't think that was a thing. I thought, uh, in my head anyway, like I don't really know that much about poker, but I thought that at poker tournaments, once you were at a table, like that was your table, that table had to like conclude. It was almost like, a, a magic pod or something like that like a drafting pod where it has to conclude with the players from that table but i guess not in this context yeah i, th- I think there's like I mean, there's, whole, there's a whole of different kind of formats um i think i know like an online poker they're called shootout shootouts when like it's yeah like multiple tables you know there's one winner of each table and they all go to another table to, to, to play um i think i think yeah, for this particular one um which i, I think is very very i think this this form, format is more common where it's just like, yeah, there, there's dealers kind of going, going between tables, constantly moving people. It's like after I was, I didn't really mention there, but after I was moved from the first table, I was at the first table for about two hours. Uh, during the third hour, I was like moved to three different tables. Uh, there's like constantly tables that are, are kind of being, even though when there's like six or seven people still there, uh, so the dealer would just come over and say, oh, we're breaking the table up uh, you know, and kind of telling each person what table they're going to. So I guess, you know, as people are being, as people are being knocked out, they want to they constantly reduce the number of tables and uh, reduce the number of MTC. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I like maybe there's some kind of software that's uh, that's governing that as well. Maybe uh, with, I presume so. Yeah, yeah. With yeah. event reporter, is it? <laughs> I don't know. It seems it functioned for the entire uh, day, so uh, maybe not. Um, <laughs> but uh, I know. Yeah, it was it was a great experience. Then um, around around this time, uh, the uh, yes, I don't know. I'll, I'll do the games to finish. So then it was just a, a big long night of, of drinking heavily. Uh, talk to other poker players for for aggressive. Well, that's um, actually at one point. Yeah, it was it was great. I, I, I suppose in terms of people who are there, I guess if you just imagine like the the profile of a, of your of your average GP and just add and but just age everybody by twenty years. That's um so <laughs> what what the 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 profile of people were were there. And um yeah, so I suppose I've drinks lots of you know, older Dublin men, and uh, I was actually surprised a, a, a whole lot of them were actually aware of magic. Because natural magic came up in conversation when I was going to talk about my background and stuff. Uh, a lot of people were aware of Magic as like, oh, oh, that game David Williams plays. Uh, so kind of through David Williams, uh, they all they all seem to know about Magic. Yeah. Uh, at one point, one guy asked me. Uh, uh, at, one, one, at one point, one guy asked me, uh, oh, so it's it's so like is it is it is the game solved? Is it is it has it been all figured out? And I was like, oh boy, I'm gonna go pull up a chair. And I was like, all right, let me tell you about something we call the Netta. <laughs> also, uh, set releases <laughs> that kind of. Uh... Puts yeah. any idea of ever solving uh, a magic format. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know. I mean, people, I, people were genuinely interested. Yeah, when I, I talked about kind of yeah, new cards coming out, uh, the things changing. I was even saying how we yeah, have changes from week to week. Uh, the strategy, best strategy one week might not be the best strategy the following week. And uh, people were very, very uh, interested. So we might have uh, a whole a whole other community of card players to poach some magic players out of. Oh, train them up. Very nice. It'd be like some kind of underdog movie. And maybe, uh, maybe next year if I'm if I'm home from Vietnam in time, we can uh, train me up in some poker and I can. Attend the Irish Poker Open. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's easy game. It's uh, it's like you know, fewer spells. There's no stack. <laughs> All reprints. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, you have been listening to Poker Talk with David and Al, and uh, <laughs> uh, thanks. Poker for- Talk is that the best you could do? <laughs> yeah. I, do you have a better poker podcast name? No. Okay. <laughs> well, uh. Uh, <laughs> that, well, that's gonna do it then. <laughs> Bye. Well, bye.